Last episode of the 2017-18 season, unfortunately, very sadly. My name is Migs. I'm one of your hosts, and over there across the internet, uh, several miles north of me, is uh, my good friend Ian. Uh, we got to be good friends this time and support each other through this uh, difficult, this emotional... difficult time of mourning. Yeah. It honestly is kind of mourning, you know? Yeah, it's definitely it's a day sad. of sadness, the day after. And, well, and yeah, the night of, of course, but... Yeah, the night of, I definitely have to, like, stop thinking about it. I, like, immediately... What did I do? We lost, and I just kind of sat there for a second. I was like, oh. And my wife said sorry, and then, like, hugged me. Oh, yeah. And it was just like... Because she's into it, too. So it was sad for her as well. And then, like... um I did something for a little bit, and then I was like, did the dishes and listened to like a. a I'm kind of into World War One right now for whatever reason, just like kind of fascinated by it. So I was listening to a podcast. Uh, yeah, hardcore history. Yeah. Um, they're like three hour podcasts, and there's like six episodes each, two and a half to three and a half hours long, about just like all encompassing World War One. Apparently. I never learned it very well in high school, and anyway, so I just like totally off something completely different. Did this the yeah. dishes, and I uh, just like kind of got my mind off of it. I didn't have a sticky, sticky mind with my thoughts, so yeah. you know, obviously, it was on my mind a lot, and it was hard to get out of my head. I mean, when things happen that you don't want to happen, it's easy to be like, "What could have been done differently?" But you know, as fans, it's like you have no control over this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think something that I also struggle with as a Starks fan is, like, I also, part of being a fan, I think, is not only, like, only wanting your team to win the championship every year, right? Maybe more so, well, my dog is here helping me with mourning. I like petting her. That helps me feel better, too. Um, something that helps, I'm not helps, something I think is interesting is, like, uh, like part of being a fan not only just like winning the championship every year because you know you won't you know you will not win the championship every single year yeah. you're a fan of your team so part of it is like enjoying the struggle you know oh yeah so part of me is like struggles with like yeah it's okay that we didn't win because like i just really enjoy the struggle and like fine tuning and like getting there and fail failing is okay uh, because the struggle is what's important yeah. And it's like, the struggle is important, and that is part of being a fan, but that, like, I also would like us to win a Stanley Cup, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe let's, like, win a Stanley Cup before we struggle and just, like, really enjoy, like, the fine aspects of hockey and outside of, like, winning championships, you know? Like, yeah. A good floor check or, like, nice goals or something. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm, not, I'm not there. I'm not, like, just a fan of hockey. Like, when the Sharks aren't playing, I'm not watching hockey. Like maybe, and even during the Olympics, I like didn't, I don't really watch it. Mm. I don't really care if USA is not playing. And even then I like more likely than not will not watch the game. I don't really watch the playoffs in other series when the Sharks aren't playing, unless it's the game before the Sharks on the back-to-back to make sure they're not going to overtime. Yeah. And ruining our TV slot. I think that's a great point. I think I agree. I agree mostly with that. I mean, I mean, I'll follow it a little bit. I think it's interesting, you know, 
to see what happens a little bit, but really your passion is very devoid when you're, I mean, at least for us as fans, like when your team is out. Uh, I, I think that's very interesting that you said that part of it is the struggle and like, because I think like you choose to be a fan and you almost like adopt a, like a microcosm of life. <laughs> of like, Yeah, it's totally like a human experience. Yeah, thing. yeah, it's definitely. Like, it's like, yeah, you go, uh, you go through downs. the ups and downs, you go through, you, you like kind of feel the, and obviously it's not a really important thing. It's a professional sport, but like, there's like some metaphors for ups and downs, like hills and valleys, adversity, good times, you know, and it's like part of the experience. And the more, I guess, the longer you're a fan, the more you experience that, you know, so, and it's fun. It's fun to be part of the excitement and elation of it all. And it's like also. You're part of a community. I, it's What's that? You're part of a community. Yeah. It's also a valuable aspect to, I think, go through the tough, tough things and, uh, and then, but then you like stay faithful, <laughs> I guess, you know, like you're still part of that group and that community and that fan base. And it's fun. It's like, you'll stick by them. Just uh, like love is a choice. Fandom is a choice. <laughs> yeah. Marriage but I mean, I think a good example is, you know, the, the Sharks, like they finally made it to the cup final a couple of years ago. And when they lost, obviously like one of the biggest disappointments, cause it's like, man, we were two games away, you know? But at the same time, it was like, wow, like, what an awesome year, like, that this group got mm -hmm. that far. And, like, even though they lost, they put, like, a heck of an effort in. And that was just, like, really fun experience to be a part of. Like, to go to that first game uh, in San Jose for the Stanley Cup final with, like, my two best friends. And uh, just to see how excited everybody was in the city and downtown afterwards and how we won in overtime and... Uh, that was just a great experience and stuff, you know. And, I mean, if you think, I mean, I'm not sure, we live in different places, but I guess for more valuable aspects of life, I guess, if you share various interests with other people, I mean, that's what builds friendships, I think. And obviously, mm -hmm. it's not the strongest thing that can build a friendship, I think, but it can lead to gateways for, you know, meeting other people, making yeah. new friends, like sharing something with people, and then obviously there could be more important things. Um, but it could be a gateway thing, you know, um, man, we're just, we just love to talk about these philosophical, that's fun. We, that should be our new like podcast theme. <laughs> oh, there, the, you reminded me of, uh, the CS Lewis quote about friendship. Yeah. That's what I was um, thinking when I said that actually. The quote is by CS Lewis. The quote is what you too. I thought that no one but myself dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And it's just like a shared experience. Which could be so together. many different things, you know, but it does really draw people together, you know? Yeah. I think the whole quote is friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought that no one but myself. Yeah. That's, that's a great Seems quote. Nice. And I'm, I'm not as you and I share that with hockey and other things too, but yeah, I mean, we're doing this podcast together and it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, I think hopefully it's something that we'll be able to continue to do and, hopefully share share with other people and hopefully they enjoy it and yeah, yeah. i think so i think there is Perhaps. value like sometimes i know i struggle with getting too emotionally invested and too frustrated sometimes with with hockey ultimately it's not really important long long term but i think there's some good like you said the microcosm of life good things that you could pull from it and 
and kind of like that journey aspect and you know connecting with other people mm. and stuff so and it's just think, a beautiful thing i think thing. we're it's delaying the inevitable what's that i think we're delaying delaying the inevitable of doing like the postmortem. <laughs> hey <laughs> i enjoy talking about this stuff it is fun though yeah there, there is and also i'm kind of i like really sad music but like i think sad experiences are like beautiful in a way they're powerful you know? yeah so and I, I think the the more the longer i've been a sharks fan you go i mean we've been through some pretty crappy <laughs> postseason losses this is by yeah. far not the worst um, yeah but we've been blessed with postseason every single season yeah oh my gosh yeah i was that, listening to another podcast of being a fan one of those one of the participants said like the sharks have made it 23 out of 27 years i'm like yeah, it's what? like, the most like that's insane. Like, franchise in North American sports or like in hockey ever, just after long term, just like continuously. Once they got there, we really never stopped. Yeah. So, and that's that's really incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, people can look at the glass half full aspect of you know we've made it to the postseason that many times. We've had so many like these exciting times, these roller coaster things in the playoffs. Other people can look at a glass half empty and being like, how come we don't have a championship? But to be honest, it's probably the NHL, the NHL is probably the hardest league to win a championship in. You you look at that. Yeah. I think the seven game series thing is a huge thing. And four Um, rounds. And and the physical toll it it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When you, Okay, we'll take that kind of like lightheartedly, not like, oh, well, the World Cup is harder. The Olympics are harder. But like, you know, like recurring every single year sports tournament stuff, like for like a league, like a pro league, um, probably, like yeah. at least in North America. Like a professional sports league, yeah, in North America. Yeah, like basketball also has a seven game series stuff. But you really, like, you can see a little with LeBron. Obviously, he has good teammates around him, but he himself can single handedly. You know, win a series and a championship, more or less. Baseball, yeah. it's more of a grind for sure than than uh, hockey because they play like 162 games, and they have, uh, you know, I think they have seven game series as well. I'm not a, a baseball fan, but but they have they have less rounds in their playoffs. Their sport is also not as physically yeah, demanding as on intense, a day to day basis. Physically, very demanding because they play it for so yeah long. for volume it's more of like a games. Marathon. But within the game itself, it's yeah. not nearly as taxing as a hockey mm-hmm. game or a football game or a soccer game or a basketball game, right? Yeah, I agree. But I think uh, talking about franchises and winning early or taking a long time to win or expansion brings us to Vegas. Mm. Yeah. Um, Let's all just right. not talk We're about obviously, this. <laughs> what? Let's just not talk about this. I think there's some things that yeah. uh, I don't know. Um, I think what bothered me is how the media treat. Like, obviously, we're going to talk again about how we hate the media, the national media covering sharks games and stuff, because it just doesn't change, and it's very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I have some things I want to say about Vegas as a team before we start talking about the series in general, about how it went for the Sharks. I'm not sure if you have anything. If you do, go ahead and start. Otherwise, I'll just jump in. No, I'll let you you take the floor and kind of kick things off. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that bothers me about Vegas, um, partially, I think it's just the principle that they paid so much money. Uh, You know, they paid $600 expansion fee, or maybe it was $500 but way higher than other teams have done. Um, And then they resulted in this team. 
like this really good team mm-hmm. that very well, like they're one of the four teams now. I think the, I'm not sure if the Jets or Predators game is left, but it's um, the Lightning. Capitals. Capitals. Nashville and Winnipeg are going to game seven. Nashville and Winnipeg are going, and then um, in Vegas in the final four. I thought I read a tweet. Someone I must have read an incorrect tweet saying that we'll have a brand new Stanley Cup winner, but Lightning have won before, so whatever. Um, yeah, they have won before. Yeah. So that's what kind of was throwing me for a loop when I was going through it. But basically, they're in, they have twenty five percent chance of winning the Stanley Cup in their very first year, and it's not just like oh twenty five token twenty five percent chance because they like happen to get there, and they're this you know terribly small minnow in a field of giants. It's like they're like a legit team. Um, and that's kind of frustrating because they weren't a team last year. Yeah. And they just were placed in the Pacific Division and just blew everything up. Mm. And were immediately extremely good. Like, extremely, extremely good. 109-point season. That's a ton of points. And it's like, well, they pay, people say, well, they paid so much. Like, they should have a good team. And it's like, yeah, I, I agree with that. They should be better than, like, the bottom 10 teams in the league. But they should probably be in like the middle ten and not the top ten or even yeah. the top five, maybe top three or four. And part of me is just like, you know what? If it was the option to pay more to get better expansion rules, like who's to say that none of the expansion teams since the nineties would have done that? Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm sure Columbus or Minnesota would have done that. You know, like why wouldn't you do that? Because Columbus and Minnesota, they've it's almost 20 years since they joined the league and they're still floundering. Mm-hmm. Columbus has only made the playoffs like a few times and only this season did they get their first like playoff series win, playoff mm-hmm. win, playoff game win. Yeah. Like 18 seasons later, 19 seasons later. So it's just like brutal. And the Sharks took a long time to go from terrible to like mediocre to making the playoffs to doing it consistently. And like I said, they're exceptional in that. So it takes like, a good five years or so for an expansion team to be able to do anything. And it's just really frustrating to see them so successful. And then as I was looking into it, um, they're like the, the national media is like the golden misfits, mm-hmm. like all these throwaways from other teams. And it's like, okay, they're not golden misfits. They're not throwaways. Yeah. They were protected players that teams were fighting or they were explicitly not protected but there are players that every single team was like fighting tooth and nail to make sure they didn't lose, yeah. but ultimately had to lose. It's not like they said, here, you can have our prospect who's an AHL scorer, but will never make the NHL. Yeah. Right? It's like we lost, um, oh, who did we lose? I blink on his name. David Schlemko. Yeah. He was like a legit, he was like a, he was the perfect bottom pairing defender. Totally responsible, good enough, good skater, good offensive instinct for whatever reason was in the DeBoer's doghouse. But, like, he would have been a solid player on that team. They ultimately tried to flip him for a pick, and it didn't work out for him. But, like, he was good. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they ended up with Carpenter from our team that kind of stuck through different reasons, not an expansion selection. And he's doing really well in the third line as a winger instead of a center. And he left because he couldn't fit in the Sharks as a center. But he's been great. Had a really good series against us. Um, So it, it, it... really makes me mad when the media is like, oh, well, they're just a bunch of castaways and look how their Cinderella story. Like, it is a Cinderella story because it's their first season, but they have 
I kind of went through the roster. They have six second rounders. Eakin, Halla, Paran, Englund, Garrison, McNabb are all veteran, like second or third line players or like solid defensive yeah. players. They have uh, Tuck, Spisa, Suban, and Theodore, which are all former first round players. Mm-hmm. Tuck and Theodore definitely very good. Sabisa has been around for a little bit, was still drafted like 2008 and 2009. Subban has been a little bit forgotten, but showed this reason. If you just gave him a little bit of belief, he did really well. Um, they have Marsha Show. A thir- he scored 30 goals last season. Right, yeah. He's not a throwaway. They have Neil, former 40-goal scorer, 30-goal yeah, scorer, player. always scores 20-plus. They have Riley Smith, who was a 50-point player, and Marsha Show's line mate last season. They have Tomas Tatar, who's a 50-point player. And they have Fleury, a thir- three-time Stanley Cup winner. And who won like, two playoff rounds last year. Very last year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah just like there, this is not a team of misfits. Like they are all very good players. Mm-hmm. Like if your fourth line consists of like second and third line tweeners, like you have a really good fourth line, yeah. you know. And they have a couple players on their team that like, you know, kind of not very good that they have. Um, but like this is really good. This team is really good. So it really bothers me when they say that. Um, and it just bothers me because it feels like they didn't pay their dues as an expansion team. Yeah. There was no suffering. There was no struggle. They were immediately successful. But I think part of that is because the terms that they had, the fact that they were the expansion rules that really left good players unprotected to be selected, and the fact that they were the only team going really gave them the most beneficial expansion draft in league history. Yes. And GMs botched it. Yeah. Opposing team GMs. Um, Halla and Tuk, Tuck from Minnesota were given by Minnesota to Vegas in order not to take Dumba. Uh-huh. So they got two core players. Halla, very effective. Tuck, very effective that you saw. And Florida gave up Marsha Show and Riley Sif Smith for like whatever reason just to save money. And that is like four of their core players just by like st- stupid Riley things. Riley Smith and Marcheseau are both on their top line. Yeah. And then Tuck and, it's just and like, Paula are like second, third liners. It's, <laughs> and so what good. a gift. What a gi- And they're all very good, skilled Th- players. Thanks, Minnesota and Florida for yeah, making... I, <laughs> That's so ridiculous. You know, and like what was it? The Islanders gave them like a first round pick, a really good player not to take someone. Yeah. And it's like so many GMs just really just like screwed it up. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if they if Minnesota didn't do that, just like totally asinine deal, and Florida because like Hala and Took are still very good players. They're mm-hmm. like maybe not as defensively mobile as Dumba with like high scoring, but like it's not like Dumba is like Matthew Barzal or something, you know, who's like had a seventy point rookie season, mm-hmm. you know. And then Florida, like, whatever, they were going through some weird mismanagement the past two seasons and, like, fired their they, the season or two before. They completely overhauled the whole office. And then last season, they just changed everything over and brought in Bugner. So maybe that's a casualty of the change. With all that transition, he's probably dealing a worse, worse team this year than they had last year mm-hmm. and the year before, possibly, you know. Yeah, I mean, they were fighting for the playoffs to get there but it was through good coaching yeah yeah so just I'll, I'll stop talking but it's just like this is a really good team that just happened to create a thin air through a lot of extraneous circumstances and 
just like mad props to the pro scouts uh vegas and the and this uh they did the whole thing really well hired the gm very early hired gerard Gallant very early and they worked together very intensely with their pro scouts to make sure that they could get players who best fit gerard Gallant's system that he wanted to implement Mm -hmm. and like it's a gift to get Halla took took um show and smith for like whatever mm-hmm. you know and then you immediately have great chemistry with two-thirds of your top line and it's just like uh, okay like if you have instant chemistry it's like okay you get thump, you get jumbo and pavelski and then you get like another player they can fit in just well if two-thirds of your top line is gelling really well you mm-hmm. know yeah i guess i guess i'll jump in i, I think you did a really good job of laying all that out um Shall we say that this will be a long podcast? Yes, it's it. going to be long. I mean, it is our last one in a while. Airing so. of grievances. Well, we, gotta, we might talk in the off season, but we got This will be a, a season night. recap as well. But I, I really like how you laid all that out. I think what you're saying is, is really laying out that the the media is is has kind of created this this narrative that Golden Knights. They're sorry, the Golden Misfits narrative, and like you're saying, like. I love that point that you're making that these are not just like teams where like you suck, we hate you. Let's like, let you go. I just remember the whole process this last off season of what the sharks were going to do, like knowing you could potentially lose like a good player and then hoping Vegas will not <laughs> take, like who you really don't want them to take, you know? And then think about that. There's, there was 29 other teams that had to go through that too, where and some and of them the were in a worse were in like position, really good position than the Sharks, right? Like yeah. they're like, think about Nashville. They exposed James Neal. Don't you think Nashville yeah, would have liked so to have good. kept James Neal? And I don't really know their cap situation exactly then, because that definitely could have played a role. But and he's he's like only thirty. He's not like thirty five. Yeah, or something. he's like, he's still like he's still got a good productive guy. And he he was great this series, you know. Um, but think about twenty nine other teams who were who were. A good number of them were probably in a worse situation than the Sharks, and just remembering how the Sharks feeling about what the Sharks were going to do. Like the Vegas had options. They, I remember, it seemed like they ended up just getting a lot of picks and everything, but they still ended up with a really solid team, and they were able to take good players. Um, yeah. So they whole, still it, have, they have eleven picks from this next draft to twenty twenty in the first three rounds. Yeah, that's. It's like they should have and they're six still, or that's nine. The thing. They, they, got, they got a good team, and they're stacked in the draft. Draft. I know, and they had three first-round picks this their first draft. It's just like... That's insane, yeah. So the thing is, like, that's a total, like, media narrative that's just trying to add to the story of being, like, a Cinderella story. Yes, it's their first season, but this is not an expansion team from the 90s that mm-hmm. had to slow, like slug in the mud for like two three four years longer before they they could get things going you know this is a team that was like gifted right away like yes they paid a lot of money and they were able to get competitive right away but they were they had the option they had a lot of options players to pick for from from other teams they got all these draft picks they have a great gm who's had a lot of experience with the capitals they have a good coach who already was coming from a fast, pretty young team in Florida. He got mm-hmm. he got Smith. He got Marchessault, and those two guys are on those their top line, right? Um, 
with their former coach with their former coach he knows them like he can kind of build around those guys so uh, it's frustrating because it's like if they win this year it's going to be like they came out of nowhere it's like and the thing is i've i totally like bought into this narrative too but thinking about it now like and everybody's like realizing like this is actually a good team of young solid players there are a couple things that were a bit surprised like william carlson he yeah you can't he's definitely a diamond of the rough that you could not really have predicted he he just kind of blew everybody out of the water now that his story in itself is like dude where did you come from like how are you this good when you were like not not really noticed before you know um and not really producing very much before uh so that 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 in itself so there's a couple things like that but definitely they were very very well set up um yeah, just making that point again. They're not a, an expansion team of the '90s. They are not the San Jose Sharks. They are not the Arizona, Arizona, or sorry, Phoenix Coyotes. Then, they're not Columbus. Yeah. They're not Minnesota. This is this is a team that's way better set up from the start. You know. Um, yeah, you have you have David Perron, a 29 year old former first round draft pick, scoring 66 points on your third line. Yeah. Like, that's depth. Yeah. In their defense, they don't have any like glaring, uh, you know, people who are just really just like anchors or just totally bad. Mm-hmm. Everyone's proven, I think, or hi- highly skilled. Even in this conversation, because you've clearly looked it up more than me, but just 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 those four players that you mentioned, and then on top of what you said, like who'd you mention? You mentioned Halla, you mentioned Tuck, you mentioned March or so, and you mentioned who was the fourth person? Smith. Smith, right? That's crazy. That's like, that's a th- that's, that's, a, absolute that's a third of their, of their forward lines. And then I thought about other players. Neil, are you kidding? Neil Perron, again. And then you think about some of their decor. Shea Theodore, who's probably going to be was a, like, oh, he's just already great in so this good. series, you know. And then uh, what's his name? Who probably doesn't get enough credit? Uh, who's on the Capitals? Um, Nate Schmidt. Nate Schmidt. Such his a good shot shader. is insane. And his skating is so good. Yeah, it's like, what, where, <laughs> his shot, like, and he scored that last goal last night. It was like, brutal. your slap shot is vicious, you know? It wasn't a slap know? shot, it was a wrist shot. Yeah, it's just, and he's like a big Friggins. guy, too. Um, yeah. You know, when you have, like, those pieces, come like, with your top, and some of that's, like, sprinkled throughout your top three lines. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that's rough. Um, yeah, I mean, Hala yeah. is is a good player, but he's I, I said he's oh, like a Cody cool Eakin player. too. He's who plays for Dallas. Player. He's probably like yeah, he's good. He's a he's pretty solid good veteran too. player. Yeah. Sorry. And the thing is, is like they also they they implement this like that the evolution has gone of hockey style. You know, the Kings won their cups, and it was possession, like heavy, heavy possession, like mm. heavy play. Tons of hitting, very, you know, possess the puck at all costs. And then the um, the Penguins started to win, and it was just speed, like fast, fast, fast. And transition, um, yeah. Transition. And transition, and that, they started yeah. to make that. But I think the uh, I think the Oilers and the – maybe not, not so much the Oilers. I think McDavid really brings the hype there. But, like, the Maple Leafs are the poster child for the quick strike offense. Yeah. 
And uh, they did well in the first round, but Boston just, I think from the very little I watched, seems like, I mean, Boston's a great team too, but it really seems like they couldn't handle their size and their physical play. Mm-hmm. And we saw that against Vegas in our series as well. Except for Vegas, like when we were playing physically and we were dominating, they really they really got off their game. Um, but Vegas is bigger than mm. Toronto, I'm pretty sure. Like their core players are not small. Yeah. I think the thing with Vegas is like everybody wants, the last couple of years, everybody has wanted to just slap this tag of like, you're a fast team, you'll win automatically. It's like, okay, yeah. no, it's not that simple. And Vegas didn't win this series against the Sharks because they, they scored fast. a bunch of goals in transition, like on breakaways and stuff. Jones was actually, I think, pretty darn good on saving like breakaway chances and like two on ones. They beat us like with like bad turnovers leading to somewhat mm-hmm. bad goals. Um, Jones yeah. let in a couple of stinkers at times. I thought a bit about that as well. There was other times where they just, I thought, and this is one of the things I made, made note of, the, the number of times where their D-men were able to c- cover the blue line and keep it on the offensive zone by like getting it on their body or like gloving it down. It's like, how do oh, you yeah. keep it in the zone so well? Like, I know... I know the Sharks do that well, and a lot of teams do that well because they're pro athletes, but they just did it like remarkably well this series. It seemed like it was a part of their game style. Yeah, they, like they covered along the boards and they covered the blue line to keep it in the zone so well. But mm-hmm. it's yeah, they're fast, and that definitely helps with their getting them in a cycle. I don't, I don't think Vegas plays a very good board Mm-mm. game. They like to they no. like to play a little bit away from the boards and get a cycle going, like a little bit more, few feet off the half walls and everything. They, they're better there. They're not very good at like getting your stick against the boards and everything. Um, but yeah. they're able to use their speed in that way. I think they were very good at creating turnovers, getting their sticks in the way of, of pucks, just like especially... Um, sorry, is it okay if I kind of delve into the series a little bit now? I'll say, I'll say one thing. Yeah. I don't, yeah, let's kind of halt there because yeah. we're going to start to get in the series if you go on that. I think another thing, kind of talking about this quick strike offense that they've done, um, they started from a clean slate with a perfect idea of what they wanted to do, right? Like Toronto has had to slowly turn over the roster and go mm-hmm. from sucking for very long to get to where they are. And they still have a few contracts that just don't fit with the coach's system, right? Vegas said, we want a quick strike team and then selectively chose players from around the league that fit that style and immediately had a team that was very good for quick strike offense. Yeah. You know, that kind of sucks. That they were able to do that, but like props to them for doing it so well. Yeah. And you suck other GMs who are way worse than Doug Wilson and did the just like mind bogglingly stupid deals. The Sharks were did. so, so minimally impacted by the expansion draft. And, but, and the thing is, we still lost like thing. a good player too. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. it really didn't kill us. It didn't kill us. Definitely, we were able to move on from it. We had some other D in the pipeline and everything, but. Um, well, yeah, yeah, some we of the things that you're saying that well. other GMs did, it's like, whoa, you like really sure. just threw everything at just, them. <laughs> seriously, listeners, go back and just look to see what the Islanders did and just cry tears of joy that Doug Wilson is not Garth Snow. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, so bad. Um, yeah. Or Chuck And you Fletcher, kind of talked about how quick strike matter, offenses or, running yeah. off of the, running over turnovers and stuff. 
playing off of turnovers and not necessarily just being fast in zone entries with possession. Um, the Jets are doing the same thing to the Predators. They are um, they're scoring goals in bunches. Um, they're scoring bowl, goals in bunches. They're doing it not necessarily in tons, but like back to back to back really quickly um, in short periods of time. And uh, even though the Preds seem to be controlling the play, the Jets are just able to do this quick strike thing off of turnovers really fast. Um, and Pecorine seems to be having a really bad series. Like his his numbers are similar to Jones in like 8-9, mm-hmm. like 89, 88% save percentages. Um, and it, it just makes me think it's like, Jones and Rene are probably in about the same category. And like Rene's up for a Vesna. Jones had not a very good season through about, but came back and finished strong like Rene did. And then you think like, how do these quick strike offenses really just like put up these numbers and make these goalies look terrible? Mm-hmm. Because they score like three, two goals in four minutes, two goals in two minutes, you know, two goals in eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And, but then the rest of the game, like Jones and Rene, are making like great saves. Be when they're not coming in bunches, but those bunches like really get them off their game, and yeah. it really seems to affect the goalies as well, which is really weird. So I'm interested to see how other teams crack the quick strike offense thing, because I'm pretty sure that a team that does that is going to win the cup, um, or at least it. They're now like I think last year was the first year where the jet where the Jets and the uh, Maple Leafs were kind of uh, the vanguard of that style, and they just really didn't make it far enough. But now Vegas is in the mix. The Jets are better. They're both in the Final Four. Yeah. Um, I think the success with more work at that system is really becoming apparent. And just like how teams figured out how to counter the possession-style game, I'm interested to see how they counter quick-strike offense because – you can win hockey in more than one way. You don't all, everyone doesn't have to play quick strike. You know, not everyone has to do fast speed with fast skaters and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. Just the fact that Vegas really had a clean slate to selectively pick the exact players that they wanted to implement this system. Um, and kind of how similar the jets and Predators series is where they're kind of being abused by the quick strike offense stuff. Um, I think uh, I think the Jets are more highly skilled than the product or than Vegas is. So if the Jets go through, and it seems like they will, because I think they have a they're at three wins in that series right now. Well, yeah, it's three three now though, and it's going back. I wonder to who won. Maybe they did go through. Let me check. Maybe no, I know I checked the scores. That's three three. Um, Nashville won four zero. So oh, so it's tied. I, okay. I think. Uh, I think we can go into the series. If yeah. You have anything so else to add. I, I guess jumping off that, which is I guess what I was trying to get into before. I think Vegas speed helps them, but um, I definitely think the quick strike thing what is was true in terms of them getting bunches of goals in a short amount of time that really killed the Sharks in Game One. Um, you also oh, saw it gosh. in Games Three. Every game. Every no, game, except uh, for a Game. Except for our 4-0 win at home 
every game had that. every game yeah game two game three and game five you know and that's that's a big thing you know the sharks were chasing um every single game they were behind early i think game one game one was a disaster like the sharks that was a buzzsaw the, the vegas was pumped at home the sharks were so flat-footed and not ready and they just got they just got smacked down <laughs> like yeah, and they they were reeling that whole game, and they could not come back. Um, yeah. That was just someone said, lack uh, of preparation. I think, yeah, I think a Chur or Pavelski or a forward commented on. They think that um, that seven zero, which was really five goals against Jones. Yeah, and then two against Dell. They really think that that five zero like shellacking mm-hmm. really shook Jones off his game. Hmm. Which I don't necessarily buy. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I do either. But I think I think it's to do with those quick, with multiple goals in a short period of time. Mm. They give up a goal, and obviously they're kind of shaken up for a second or two, or a minute or two maybe, and then you get another one really quick. That really hits your confidence. And I think it's kind of like a confidence and like a mental stability while the team is also reeling as well. Like you were just scored against, so defensively you have to, you know, you take a hit mentally. And then while you're still reeling and try to get back to where you were before the goal is scored, they score another one, and it just like makes that wound deeper and deeper right. before it heals. And like you and said, I the think, team's reeling too, and not a lot of those, not all of those are his fault, you know. Yeah, like he, Jones gave up a few stinkers, like you said. He did, I, I don't yeah. Think maybe two, two or three, but uh, you know, a lot of them are. I think really it just comes down to the fact that they can score goals so close together, mm-hmm. it destroys a team's confidence. Maybe not destroys is the wrong word, but like really hurts a team's confidence instead mm-hmm. of scoring two goals in one period. Score two goals in under 10 minutes really hurts. Yeah, and I think, but even more. just going down two and you're chasing two goals, mm-hmm. even if you have like two periods left, like that's just discouraging, you know? Uh, yeah, people often talk about playoffs being give up close, leads. like one goal games. In your playoff game and you're already down by two, that sucks, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And the Sharks. I was talking to you, I was texting this to you last night. You know, the Sharks were a team that showed that they were capable of coming back from deficits, and they did that in part this series, but they put themselves in that situation. And credit to Vegas, Vegas put themselves put them in that situation too many times for them to real, really be able to be successful. Game one, they were down and they could not come back. Game two, they did come back from a two-goal deficit, and they won in overtime. Game three... Almost made the comeback, could not. Got and and this is where I want to introduce the next aspect to the series that I think was absolutely critical. Maybe the biggest thing, but I really think you can pick apart this series a lot. But Flurry's play was like so pivotal at certain times to to potentially change games. I mean, you think about the Sharks He's coming so clearly hard. their conspire candidate. It's insane. Yeah, you think about the Sharks coming hard in games two, three, and four. They got to him and won that battle against Flurry in Game 4. They got past him. Games 2 and 3, the Sharks came out hard in those first two periods, and they couldn't get much past Flurry, right? And he was able to keep his team in it. They're, they ended up scoring first like in both of those games, right? And we, yeah. we were fortunate to come back from one and win. We came back in another one and didn't get the overtime goal. And you know what? We almost did, but Couture got absolutely robbed with the best save of the series 
by Flurry. That with was that the game on the save. stick, and he just couldn't do it. And we could have gotten, we could have so easily. And we had taken two. We were on the penalty kill for four minutes in the first like five or six minutes, and we could have put them away despite that. But then it caught up to us. We were just fatigued down. Marchessault gets that breakaway, and also his shot in that game three was just like. That was an absolute like laser snipe. How did you do that? <laughs> How did you do that? I know like Martin and Burns had that miscommunication thing, but that that shot was just like nuts over the shoulder. Um, I uh, yeah, that was that just. But Flurry, you know, he had that save that kept them in it. Game four, Sharks played an absolute awesome game. If they played like that for. 60 to 80 minutes more in the series maybe this would have gone differently you know honestly mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean you do that's that 60 to 80 minutes where they didn't three, play their game you win game three yeah and but then it's do you see what i mean like yeah certain cool. periods that we stopped playing that they stopped playing their game or got the vegas made them not play their game like that could have been like enough you know the series was, i think was yeah. closer than it would seem um at key I mean, moments. I don't at necessarily key... think that... I get what you're saying. I don't necessarily think moments. that's true. Yeah. I mean, we were eliminated in six. Yeah. But, that's but fair. You, that's respectable. I'm not saying, like, oh, if we had just played, like, like better play leading to key moment differences, like, we could have been up 2-1. We could have been up 3-2 instead of being down... 2-1 and down 3-2 you know and that that could change the complexion of this yeah I, I think i i think i what i'm taking from what you're saying is that both teams show that they really could just dominate play effectively mm-hmm. for long stretches and vegas literally just the total time where they did that was greater than the total time where we did that and that's why they won yeah yeah probably yeah totally. because like total, when you're saying oh it really was a close maybe. series it was closer than you think it's like it was a six game series like, yeah but like i said you can you can close. pick apart this series a lot and i think flurries play yeah. and then and i'll let you i want to say one more thing and then i'll kind of let uh let you take take over again but um flurry had a great series and he was the better goaltender but i want to say like i think their their team d with forwards and defense collapsing around the crease around flurry when flurry was down and out and there was a lot of open net they got their sticks in the way they just laid down on the ground we got yeah. we were trying to shoot we shot in their legs we shot in their sticks we started in their stomachs of their demon their forwards who were sprawling out in front of the goal and how many goals like did not get scored not because of flurry but because of their d and forwards just laying out in front of the net as well like that's super frustrating because it's like that should be illegal <laughs> <laughs> like you see it and it's like no but yeah, at the same time it's like it's legal and they're playing great d they're just like sacrificing and and cut, backing up their goaltender but it's just like it was so frustrating because flurry like on his own would have been beat but because he had his team backing him up they were able to make those saves where he couldn't you know and he they yeah. made him look extra good where he was good in his, on his own, but him with his team made him look he like... He was great on his own. He was amazing looking with because everyone. his team yeah. had his back, you know? So I think their team D and just laying in front of shots was um, was incredible, yeah. you know? Yeah, I really think they picked that up after game four. Mm-hmm. I think that's when they really saw, like, this is how the Sharks are beating us when they score. 
if we prevent this, which was down low and making Flurry move across from pipe to pipe. Mm -hmm. And then creating plays from behind the net was really where he was weakest. And they really started to attack that. And you see that for every single breakaway that all the players have, they did try to do the same thing, which was make a move across the pipe and instead of waiting him out for a better shooting angle, make a move across from his pipe, away from his pipe, and shoot really fast. Mm-hmm. They shot their backhand shots when they did a forehand backhand move way earlier than you normally would have. Normally you would wait until you're past like the midpoint to go like top corner or like far, far, far other side. They did it before they even reached the midpoint just because it seemed like they believed that Fleury wasn't getting across fast enough, so they thought they could beat him initially. But that like total collapsing and utter shutdown of shots, shot suppression stuff, really started after game four when we won 4-0. It was very mm. clear that's how the Sharks were winning and the way that we were going to win. Mm. And then they just dominated us from there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, we could talk about the series. Um, you kind of talked about how things could be different. Um, we're going to breach a hot topic of refereeing. Yeah, let's now. do it. Wait, wait. I said... Maybe it'll come to me. You said something, and I was like, oh, that makes me think of what I would say, because I was thinking about something specifically. Are you talking about what, what I just said or something we've talked about in the past? You were talking about it like two minutes ago, and then I was like, oh, I have a point for that. Well, I was talking about them laying in front of the crease. and. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was thinking about, yeah, and they just like absolutely just blatantly cross-check a player out of the way yeah. to get people to clear the crease, and then it's not called. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Sharks do that too, and this is not like a, they're calling it unfairly for the Vegas or calling it unfairly for sh- in Sharks' favor in Vegas' favor. This just simply breeds me to the point, and then I'll let you say what you want to say, um, is that, I, and I listened to Hockey Central today, which helped me further kind of understand my point a little bit better, just have more data. Um, they briefly talked about the Brad Marchand uh, licking Ryan Callahan's face thing, um, which is just so stupid. Dude, he has escaped suspension so many times. He needs to be slapped with a Torres. Yeah, he needs to fine. be slapped with the Torres suspension, suspension, not fines. Like he should not get Seriously. any fines from now on. Everything should be a suspension for him because he yeah. does it on purpose. Yeah, he does do things on purpose, yeah. And it's so stupid. Like, they literally, like, if you, if Brad Marchand, and so the thing is, is the whole incident, they're in a scrum, and they're tying each other up their hands, squaring off, and then Brad Marchand, and I'm pretty sure it was Callahan, Ryan Callahan, just goes in and just straight up licks his face. Like, one, that's utterly disgusting, and two, that's illegal in kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you get sent out, you get suspended for that. Like, in kindergarten, we know that's wrong. And the thing is, the ref is, like, staring at them a few feet away. And he's like, that's okay. That's fine. (laughs) It's like, no, that's not okay at any level. And it just shows, okay, but if if Brad Marchand had spit on Ryan Callahan, it would have been a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct and a suspension. Mm -hmm. If he had bit Ryan Callahan's finger, 
it would have been a penalty and an unsportsmanlike unsportsmanlike penalty and a or roughing or whatever, and then a suspension. Licking is no different than spitting. Mm-hmm. It's even more psychologically weird. Mm-hmm. And the ref is just staring at it. It's like, yeah, that's fine. I think it's okay to do it, so it's fine. They're clearly not calling the rules. That's clearly unsportsmanlike. Everyone knows it. Everyone yeah. agrees it. His own teammates talk to him on the bench in the game. We're saying, you got to stop doing that. And that's what Chara said. I mean, obviously, we don't know what they said. But it was clear that that was what was being talked about. Mm-hmm. And the refs are just like, yeah, that's okay, because I'm not calling the book. I'm calling what I want to call to manage the game. Yeah. That brings me to my point, is... I don't like how this refing is so inconsistent because it comes down to this. Is the refs do not call the playbook mm-hmm. or the rule book mm-hmm. by the letter of the law. Yeah. Right? And it's so infuriating because, you know, it happens in every game or every playoff series for sure in some regular season games where, like, a player behind the play will start cross-checking and slashing each other and pinning a player on the ice and like holding their stick to let them to prevent them from going and completely taking that a play and acting a fool and committing two or three penalties on each side nothing happens they just let them go mm-hmm. right and then you take their best def- like you like happens to Vlasic a lot the other player holds Vlasic back Vlasic tries to get away you've just taken the best defensive player out of the game while your while your team has a rush going the other way Mm-hmm. Should be holding, should be whatever. They don't call it because mm-hmm. whatever they don't feel like it, you know. And when refing is changing so dramatically from game to game, even series to series, it really affects play because if you're counting that an interference penalty is going to be an interference penalty, and you've based your game around it because it's tied to possession or something like that. And then the standard for interference changes. So if you blow on someone, it's now a penalty. Like, your game will suffer because of the way that the refs do it. The way the refs call it. And that's what's frustrating is because um, it's just like up to the ref to decide how they want to call the game. And Mm -hmm. their personal view of what they want hockey to be like, if one team aligns with it more than the other, they will benefit from the ref's calling. And yeah. that changes game to game, changes series to series. And we've seen that with how Vegas plays throughout the whole season. They clearly had favorable calls throughout every single Sharks game that we played. I've heard this for many other teams across the league, that Vegas got extremely favorable calls the whole season. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you want to say about that. That's true. Mm-hmm. They got away with a lot. It's because they played the quick strike offense. They're the baby child, whatever. But the, the NHL wants to go that way because it's more enjoyable to watch. More goals are scored. It's a better product than on the ice. So they want to encourage people to do that, right? It's the same reason why they changed, like, all the slashing penalties. That's the reason why they changed the standard because um, Johnny Gaudreau on the Flames was com- complaining about how his hands were getting slashed all the time. And because of his complaints, they changed it. To the fact at the beginning of the season, if you looked at their hands, you got a penalty. And it was it was called to the letter of the law for the first 20 games. Yeah. And then literally, it was like a switch. The 20th game of the season, or right about there, they just stopped and it went exactly to what it was the two, three seasons before. Well, also, Crosby, like, partially chopped Mark Mathot's yeah, he, like, finger chopped, off. Well, he chopped off Mark Mathot's finger, right, but that's no different because that would have been a penalty anyways. Yeah. The ref just, like, didn't see it or whatever. But it's just so frustrating that refereeing can change the game 
because I think for me, the thing that really makes me mad is you, I think you're going to talk about a lot of the minor penalties that happened, um, especially for the little hurdle. But the thing that really got me is that, okay, you have Kane come in late in a scrum, cross-check someone in the face. Mm-hmm. Not very hard, but cross-check them in the face. Right? He gets suspended for one game. Shea Theodore cross-checks Hurdle in the face, hard. Nothing happens at all. He gets a penalty. It's not a double minor, even though Hurdle is bleeding. He, he gets away scot-free. He gets a minor penalty and then no suspension. Their best player should have been suspended for one game. Exactly the same situation that happened with Kane, except it was during play. But we've seen calls where cross-checks to the face during play get suspended earlier in the season. Um, John, or I don't know his first name, but Merrill, the defenseman, um, cro- like checked Michael Carlson directly in the head at one of the games where Vegas was really beating us. I think it might have even been the first game. Who was that? Bellamar? Be- no, Merrill. Merrill, okay. Remember the headshot that Michael Carlson took? It was a completely head whipped back, separate and before the body, which is the exact language that the Department of Player Safety said like three or four days before in the video after the first round had finished where there was like three suspensions the first round through headshots. They released a video saying, this is what we consider a headshot, this is what we look for. The exact letter of the law of what they had just described happened to the Melker Carlson, they didn't call it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because Vegas was winning the game. It was a 7-0 route. They're not going to do anything. They're just going to let them win, get the game going, go at home. Their refs are managing the game. No, that was a headshot. He should be suspended. Yeah. They suspend one of the defensemen. They have to bring up a depth to set the depth defenseman to fill in his role. Changes the way. Maybe the defense gives up more mistakes. Shea Fedor being out, their best defenseman, definitely changes the game. If we lose Vlasic, that hurts us a lot. Doesn't mean we're going to win or lose. Just means it's going to be very different. Mm-hmm. And repeatedly, they got away with that for whatever reason. It was more favorable to Vegas for those suspension type things, regardless of minor penalties called throughout the season and or series. And that makes me mad because yeah. that shouldn't be about who's winning or who's losing or what the score is in a game. If someone gets hit in the head, they should be penalized. I fully am a hundred percent behind Kane getting penalized the way he yeah, did. Absolutely. I hate that he did it. And I wish I'm glad he was suspended and like that's that. He did his time and he was back to play. It affected us because we lost him. And our lines look different the next game. Vegas does the same thing. Nothing happens. Why? Because they're winning the game. Because they're doing the things why the NHL wants them to do it. That's very frustrating, and I hate it. Yeah. Dude, you're on a roll tonight. Me? I just appreciate you being my co-host. I appreciate you being my co-host. You're just just rolling tonight. No, I totally totally agree. I I think that's like a great... um, have we talked about how personally about <laughs> what'd you say we are so against roughing being poorly oh yeah afflicted against us and through our personal experiences that we have shared together through volleyball i guess i'll, I'll i guess i'll go somewhere over some of the more specific calls and then uh, i'll talk about the safety issues that i saw and then i'll talk about the um some of the other calls that i think could have been uh momentum changers in in games so first of all yeah the game one seems like a while ago so I think I vaguely remember what you're saying about Merrill's hit to Carlson. Um, 
But what I remember more is in game two, I think it was Merrill as well, who goes for a knee-on-knee collision um, for, yes. uh, who was it? It was uh, Dylan DeMello. I thought Dylan DeMello had like maybe torn his ACL, but he kept on playing that out. game. And I was like, okay, thankfully he's fine. The thing is like the DOPS, you know, they're, they're looking at headshots more and everything. Um, but player safety, you know, obviously that's a huge thing that can have a long-term impact. But if you're the Department of Player Safety, you, you can't just like zero in on like headshots and shots to the head and everything. Where was where was the where was the discipline on Dustin Brown a few years ago where he tore Tomas Hurdle's PCL um, because of a knee on knee collision? How many other knee on knee collisions have probably been let go uh, by the DOPS? You know, like do do you not realize that that keeps that a major ligament tear in the knee will keep a player out for the mm-hmm. rest of the season and maybe affect their career long term? A la Rafi Torres. Tomas Hurdle. Yeah. Do you know exactly. how many knee problems he had since then, and how he's yeah. finally getting things back three years, like two or three years later? And yeah. the thing and is, I like that say... bothers me so much because he's clearly charging. He goes for a knee on knee hit, and he jumps as he hits or a little bit afterwards into his bench. And you know what they call a minor penalty? A minor penalty. That's it. That's all they give him. And there's no. The DOPS doesn't look at it the, the day after, mm-hmm. you know? They'll only look... I think a lot of what they look at is, like, they'll have to make a call on the ice. And it, if they don't make the call on the ice, like, there's a good chance it won't be reviewed later. Like, the, exactly. the, offici- the officiants on the ice, like, the officials, they, they have power in the sense of, like, drawing attention by the league to certain plays. And if they let things go yeah. or miss things, it might not catch the attention for whatever reason. The and only thing that can be reviewed that isn't called that isn't called by the refs is an offside. If the refs don't call offside, you can challenge that it was offside. Mm-hmm. If the refs don't call, I mean, I guess you can do goaltender interference too. But like, if the refs don't call a cross-checking or whatever, you can't complain about it. You can tell them, hey, you missed a call, and they'll make yeah. a weak call on the other team. But... Um, we're about to get very heated, and we kind of already are. And I wanted to preface this early, and I started for interrupting. But the reason why Migs and I are so our, – our fire is so fueled for refing injustice is because when we were in high school on our <laughs> varsity <laughs> volleyball team together, we – and this is no joke – we legit had a uh, Division two volleyball championship for our league taken from us on a wrong call. It yeah. literally was the game deciding game of the series. It was best of five. It was game four. So we only needed three games to win. And we were in game four. We were in a situation where the next point was Migs got a block and it was so forceful and so legit. It went in his hands and then on their side of the net down so fast. It was just, it was great block. And the ref made the wrong call saying that it somehow went underneath his hands and down on our side, which is a point for them instead of a point for us. And a point for us would have won the game. We have video evidence that we later showed the ref saying that she was wrong and then she didn't do anything. And it was so frustrating because we knew we had won and it was taken from us. And the thing is, is that ref had expressed like bias against us because we went to a Christian school. The whole season, and we knew it. 
And then we saw that she was refing our game, and we're like, crap, this is going to suck. And it turns <laughs> out it bit us. And that's why we hate refing so much when it's so bad. Because it comes down to that, and it pisses us off. And freaking <laughs> Hurdle, man. The stupid think, interference penalties that get called because he's... people, too. Yeah, um, we're competitive, too. Anyways, I'll let you talk. I just dude, I was sad for a there. week after we lost that game. Yeah, I mean, we're high school, so we're also, like, more emotional about things that don't necessarily matter as much. But, yeah, but that was like we could have had, like, a ring or something. We had a good season that season. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, dude, you were um, so good. That was a highlight. That was our that was our Stanley Cup, <clears throat> I mean, uh, volleyball championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was fun. That was, man, I don't want to play volleyball again. Anyway. Um, yeah, but I had I had interrupted you earlier, and I wanted to make sure I got that out, so it wasn't. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Some background, uh, personal stories that will impact our uh, our view on things. Yeah. But, so, so catch back up. Demello, the player department of player safety only looks at stuff that ref calls, and they only really take looks at. Well, that's the thing. Shots. Like, it doesn't Even matter though, if the official. Like, listen, officials are going to miss things, and they may miss some bad things, but mm-hmm. the league needs to be looking at like all plays. And not mentally being like, oh, that wasn't really viewed as something on the ice, or they missed that, so that didn't get a lot of attention. So let's not look at that, you know? Exactly. Like, Carlson and they're gets very hit lax. They're very lax. They're, they're to the head, and they don't do anything. Yeah. The thing is, they they, I I honestly personally think they need to be stricter. Like, yeah, Dowdy. People are like pissed off about the Dowdy hit. It's like. Why are you so upset about Dowdy being suspended for that hit? And that was on Merrill. It's like he's skating in front of him and kind of like his his head. He doesn't like drop his shoulder or anything like that. No, that was on Belmar. Be- was it on Belmar? Yeah, I Belmar it was on and had been... Anyway. Oh, it was Carrier because they had been going back and forth the whole game. Yeah. The whole series. And then they but anyway, it's tried like... to lay a hit on the guy that did it. And he missed. And that he hit was him directly ahead. I was so upset about the Kane thing because I was so stupid, and I totally yeah. thought he should be suspended, and they did. But then the knee on knee j- jump into it, like <sighs> they don't look at it all. And then you say Theodore, which I need to look at this again. Theodore cross checks hurdle at the end of just game straight four, in the face, straight which, in the mouth. If they have Theodore out for game five, that's a big deal, right? Yeah, best defense um, on the team. Just, it's just silly to me. Like they'll they'll like make statements and and be like, they'll make statement suspensions when they want to, mm-hmm. but they're not going to look at everything that should be suspendable. You know, Tom Wilson should not be in the league. Every hit he does is like clearly just like way over the line. And, yeah, and, the, and then he still plays. It's yeah, like that was... teach him a lesson. He's young in his career. You can shape the trajectory of his career before he throws away like Rafi Torres. Yeah, both highly skilled players, but. Yeah, that that those two hits were really bad because he had two and yeah. he was like laughing on the bench. Yeah, afterwards, he's crazy. Yeah, so I, I I like like it when they suspend certain things because it's like good you did your job, but then it's like you so don't you do did your, your job, job a lot when of the time. Like doing your job. You know, and I just feel like who's working in the DOPS like former players? Great, you can have an input, but what about physicians or like? physical therapist (laughs) or like independent auditor or something you know or or people like people who understand like human biomechanics and everything like you are like how many how many people are are actually like consulting on this like i hope that they have like a doctor in there like a neurologist but the the thing is Mm -hmm. the nhl my wife was kind of telling me about this like 
it took the NFL forever to admit that like CTE was a thing and the NHL like still disregards there being like a connection between head injuries. It's like, you guys are so stupid, you know, and these are people who are great. You have a former player who had some head injuries. That's awesome. But you need to have like, not people who are stuck within the hockey world. You need to bring some outside voices in here, you know? And the thing is, is yeah. these players who know that headshots and CTE is a huge issue and that will affect them for the rest of their life if they have it, they're continuing this, like, prison against themselves. Yeah. Because they don't want to acknowledge it or they don't treat it treat headshots like they should be. Yeah. They keep this circle of attrition going. Yeah. And, they let and the it thing happen. is, like, I'm of the opinion that you know, some stuff is intentional, but if you if you go for something in your intensity and you make a mistake and your slick sli- stick slides up and you hit somebody in the head and you give them a concussion, then you should probably be suspended sometimes, you know? Like, yeah, it's like, you shouldn't, okay. You shouldn't have thrust your stick out in a cross check. Like, you should still be suspended, you know? Yeah, just take it take it to the extreme, okay? You do that and the person ha- person cannot play anymore. Yeah, do you wish you would have changed the way you play? Yeah. Yeah. No one Do you wish like you controlled yourself game. in that moment? Probably. And if that player was never suspended, how would that look to the league? Yeah. Like, come on. So, I think they, I, I think it yeah, needs to be should more strict. A... I don't. I don't buy this crap from like former NHLers and people who are only like in the league that have this. It's like you can still be physical and play like a clean, clean game. Don't charge people. Don't just throw yeah. your stick at people, you know? Like, <sighs> anyway. We're having such a serious discussion about, like, injuries and headshots and CTE. My dog is, like, eating her kibble behind her by taking it out, pouring it on the carpet, and eating it one by one. <laughs> like, <laughs> we help out. She's so cute, though. We help, out, we help out at the preschool at our church, and <laughs> that was, like, the one-year-olds and two-year-olds this past week. <laughs> And my wife's usually with the younger kids, and she's like, yeah, sometimes, because they'll have, like, Cheerios for a snack. Yeah. She'd be like, a lot of time, they'll, the kids will just, like, dump the Cheerios on the ground and just, like, <laughs> eat them from the ground. And just, like, you can't stop them, because they're, like, you, like, turn your back, and you're like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Yeah, my daughter has not yet dropped her pacifier like in the dirt yet. Yeah, <laughs> so I haven't had She's to like for that, make yeah. that choice where I'm like, do I just like give this back? Do I brush it off? Do I wash it? <laughs> like, yeah, they'll yeah. they'll build they'll build immune resistance. Don't worry. <laughs> like, yeah, um, she has this nice little like tether that that you can clip one side to your shirt, so if it ever drops, it just like go. Yeah, like, yeah, bungee yeah, cord, yeah, like a harness that. for rock. Climbing. Anyway, cool. sorry, I got really. Yeah, those are yeah we talked about things. Kane, and we talked about how he got his suspension for hitting um, that was the person in the face. Yeah, forget who. Belmar, yeah. Belmar, um, Kane did not play well. Whew. he did not play well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we both had the same observation. Um, he had one point during the whole Vegas series. Which was the goal which he scored against Flurry on the power play, shooting from like between the hash marks directly in front of the goal, like 10 feet out. Which, as you saw with LeBanc, when he scored his power play goal doing the same thing, um, 
I don't necessarily, I don't want to like take it away from Kane because he had a really good shot. But I'm just saying that like most of the team, if they put it on net, could have also made that same goal. Um, so the point he scored, like, and this is so like stupid and belittling, but I'm like, yeah, anyone could have scored that point. It's like, I mean, any NHL player on the team could have done that. And it's like, yeah, sure, whatever. But I went down that old rabbit hole, like had that conversation with myself, but whatever. He had one point and he didn't play well. And um, he had four points in the Duck series, which is like, oh, four points, four games. That's pretty good. But he also had four points in four games against a Ducks team, which was like self-imploding and playing a style of the NHL that is like gone the way of the Dodo as of the Ducks imploding. Mm -hmm. Like no one is going to play that way in the playoffs anymore. It will be similar, but no one is going to win playing that way as we clearly saw. Mm Mm-hmm. Or at least to the degree that the Ducks were playing. And you got two goals when they were imploding. Great. Um, so, like, yes, it was good. But I don't necessarily give that a ton of weight. Because a lot of Sharks players had a lot of points. Because we had an 8-1 win, you know. We mm-hmm. had a couple of, like, blowout wins against them. A 3-0 win as well. Um, he doesn't really fit our style of play. Yeah, I agree. You know, That's a big you thing. You should talk about that. Because I think you have some notes. Well, I... I... Things I noticed, and, and this was kind of in the regular season too, he's such a skilled, fast, like aggressive player that he can just drive his way to the net a lot of times. I think mm-hmm. it was definitely less successful in the playoffs because people are playing tighter. People are playing on yeah. him more. The goalie flurry was like really sharp in this series. Um, but I think Pretty just flurry. the fact that, and I think we maybe saw this in Mikel Bodker when he started playing for the Sharks, but he's he's not really the level of player that Evander Kane is, but Evander Kane would just kind of like take the puck in on his own and like disregard Mm -hmm. what the team strategy of the zone entry would be sometimes. And because the playoffs were more tense, it would like lead to a turnover or he would like shoot it on net with not a good chance and Fleury would make an easy save. And I think that just, that could just like kill our offense for like a minute or two because it just led to a turnover in their zone and then they just get set and go back trying to get back in our zone. So I think stuff like that, I think his, his ability to handle the puck, like receiving passes and um, I think, yeah, I think pass rec- that was the biggest receiving thing was a big issue. I think his ability yeah. to control the puck along the boards is not what, like a lot of our players can do who play in our system, who are able to battle along the boards to free mm-hmm. up the puck and create space. He's maybe he's only he's kind of like can skate in the zone and go for things or like get an open shot and take a shot and have a good shot, but I just think he lacks like the puck possession and reception skills that are really valuable and needed for the system that we play. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big concern. Granted, we did find out that he was playing with a separated shoulder and he had an MCL injury at some point. Um, so those definitely could have impacted his play. But I feel like these are things that I was sort of seeing in the regular season a little bit as well. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, he's new. He's only played, what, 20-something games with the team, 30-something. So yeah. if he were to learn as Tristan, potentially he could be better about that. But it's hard to see that happening with the type of player he is. So I'm not sure I would be thrilled about him coming back. I mean, we already, for reasons we've already stated, um, when we first acquired him, like, don't necessarily want him back for his off-ice stuff, yeah. regardless. Um, but to me, 
the reasons why you would want to keep him for his on-ice production, I think he would fit very good on Vegas. And I do not think he would fit... I don't think he fits on the Sharks. Like, the Sharks' perfect high-skill player is someone like... Hurdle. Uh, uh, Hurdle. Mm-hmm. Right? You saw Hurdle absolutely take control of games. Yeah. Really effective stick handling in tight. Timo Meyer does a really good job of this. When he stick handles, a lot of his like moves that he does, he pulls the puck pretty close to into his body mm-hmm. instead of making like big high school uh skill sweeping like deeks like with his like arms extended. Timo Meyer and Hurdle do a lot of their stuff in tight and have the puck on a string, not necessarily making these huge sweeping like sexy deeks. But kind of like what Pavelski does, like he just enters the zone, has the puck on a string and kind of just moves it around within like this, like two foot by two foot square right in front of him. Yeah. And just no one can get it. And you saw how just like hurdle along the boards just goes against the boards and just slips with the the puck. Just waits and just (laughs) uses them and just wins everything. And uh, but is still that power forward who can use their body and size, plays defensively, and can take faceoffs, right? And yeah. I think this season, you know, he's finally had a full season of being able to, uh, you know, full off season of one hundred percent health to play well. And he missed a few games. He had seventy whatever seventy nine games played, but he had forty six points. And he's uh, not that old, you know. So I look at look at Evander Kane. He played 17 games with us this regular season, and a total of 27 games, including playoffs. Um, yeah, and you know, like you said, he, he came in the player he was, learning Buffalo's system and had to adjust, and you know, meshed well with the top line immediately. But uh, a full season of off season, full off season of training with the team or along what the team wants him to train with along, going into training camp, doing preseason, um, playing the whole 82 games with the team before playoffs, I think it would look different. Uh, but then I fear a Bodker situation, you know? Yeah. Uh, they've played a style that has made them successful before doing the team, uh, which is high skill of a different variety. Um, and the Sharks require a different set of skills which used well is extremely effective as we've seen with hurdle and our system is absolutely tailored to magnify those players and make them much more successful because they're using their whole team around them instead of being alone this like lone wolf doing what they're trying to do so Mm. yeah i don't necessarily want him back the only reasons why i want him here are for his numbers and if that can be found somewhere else even if we have to trade again to get him i'd rather trade to get him yeah personally i agree i mean, I mean I that's think... personally coming from just his history and what he's done off the ice i just don't want him on the team yeah i don't care if he gels well and if he's changed that shouldn't be rewarded um i don't want patrick kane to necessarily have the same success he has for the same reasons yeah but um yeah i think we have some players coming up like uh meyer and LeBanc and Hurdle, who are having better seasons, and Donskoy, who I think needed to be better, and Bodker kind of coming into their own, and some other forwards coming into the system like Gambrell, who knows what he'll do. 
I'm getting a little bit more depth scoring, spreading the scoring seed around a bit. But yeah, I I don't really like what I saw. I like that he scored. Um, you know, he had nine goals, which is pretty good, but he also disappeared mm. for a lot of the games. And obviously he had injuries, but like just being completely ineffective against Vegas, just... Yeah, I think dude's decision not okay. making stuff and just an inability Especially to because to this make is the period. Work. Yeah. This is the period where the team is evaluating him so closely. Do yeah. we want to re-sign you and commit major money towards you? Because he's gonna commit a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Six million plus for as much years as he can get, which I think is seven, unless the sharks we sign him for eight. You know? Like he's gonna take a lot of money for a long time and the sharks need to take a measured approach when they do this and if you play like that in the playoffs i personally think that's a major detractor being completely ineffective the whole top line was too he had some chances but a lot of people had chances. not a lot of people had chances yeah nothing nothing remarkable I I was reading an up uh, an article by Gackle that said that he fa- he didn't have a chance because he was celebrating because he thought he scored a goal, and like missed the puck at his feet. I didn't see that in Game Six, but I guess that happened. <laughs> against the Ducks? No, it, it, last night against uh, against Vegas in Game Six. Yeah, I missed that, but that's that's what Paul Gackle wrote apparently. Um. Anyway, Whatever. um. Yeah, dude, I, I have the same same opinion as you. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the offseason turns out, and I guess we could talk about that a little bit more later. But I guess bringing it back to the series. Yeah, how did we? How did the Sharks play? Let's talk about that first. Yeah, so we talked about, talk about Vegas why a little Vegas bit. Played well. Yeah, Flurry had a great, yeah, great Vegas team first. D. They were just all over. I think their man defense really helps them. They they just pressure. They get in the way of pucks. That that help them force turnovers sometimes in the neutral zone, yeah. in our defensive zone. But yeah, let's talk about the Sharks. So what do you think wait, about wait, how I they think, played? I think Vegas, I said that and then I changed my mind because I think I have left to say, less to say about Vegas. Yeah. Do you? You have less to I mean, say or more? You have less, less to say. say and more about the Sharks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think once it's settled. I think, what you, I agree I think with what I already you just stated said. a lot about what I thought about Vegas. Yeah, we've yeah. already talked about what makes Vegas good because they actually have a very skilled team. Their system is very well executed. Everyone was brought in knowing the situation and i think that probably helped everyone gel a little bit better um and just the quick strike offense that is fed off of turnovers completely fueled by the way they forecheck and their neutral zone system i don't know how it works but it comes from the neutral zone Mm -hmm. and they force turnovers a lot and then immediately get onto rushes in dangerous positions and that is their bread and butter and as you saw when they had those like really short chance breakaways coming between the blue lines starting like halfway or even between the red line and far blue line towards the goal they would uh, be able to have like off puck movement way better than just like making a triangle or doing just like a two-on-one trying to get a pass across Mm -hmm. which I actually thought they were rather unsuccessful with after game one, a lot of times they had passes way too far out or way too far behind. Or yeah, I agree. Whatever. I don't think but their two-on-one breaks were yeah. where they scored most of the time. When like they I had said, like three-on-twos and stuff, stuff. 
Yeah. When they had uh, more than like a two on one, their off puck movement was just so good. Mm-hmm. And and we really saw us be punished because of exactly what you say. They cycle, but it's not hold the puck along the boards, draw players to you, move the puck very far away from your work to the point, and have the defensive players move to get into position and move across multiple axes to draw them out of position, then fire on net, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. Which the Sharks do to extreme effect and very well, and it works. Um, they are quick strike offense, and when they're in the zone, if they don't get a shot or a goal off the rush, they retrieve it, and then they just move, 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 kind mm-hmm. of like Bodker does, not doing his circle that he does all the time, but <laughs> Bodker skates with the puck to draw people away instead of holding position to draw people near him. And then all of the forwards, and it seems like the defensemen join in too, to do this cycle, um, and their top line is simply unstoppable. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't see specifically what they're doing outside of the fact that they are very high skilled. They all have very good chemistry. And for whatever reason, it is working for them. And the Sharks could not do a thing to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, Flurry, you know, whatever. He stole a series. He didn't steal it. <laughs> But he prevented the Sharks from winning, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. I just wanted to talk about like their off-puck movement for their rushes that they generated in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Really helped them win. And they also are very athletic, too. Mm-hmm. Like that one goal that Carlson scored from like an inch away from the red line from yeah. far out that just went the in. The goal line? Yeah. Yeah, that was like a split-second thing from a yeah. sh- uh, shot with a really fast rebound coming off the boards, and he just did it. And I was just like, dang. Like they, A lot of them are very athletic, mm-hmm. and I don't get it. Hopefully the Sharks video coaches can figure out how to stop it because they're in the Pacific Division. We play them a lot. I think you know they, they, have, they play with a lot of energy, and to be honest, I think a lot of their goals were like, quick reaction type stuff that Mm -hmm. they had some good bounces and in the game of inches their inches went the right way (laughs) a lot of times like carlson yeah look at game six william carlson he gets that chance like nine out of ten times he's probably gonna miss the net (laughs) well maybe a little bit less than that but it's not gonna go in yeah it's not gonna go in all the time like he he made a quick reaction he he got that like tight angle in like that was such a fortunate bounce off the boards and like oh that was so frustrating yeah and then yeah but he had a 25 percent shooting percentage the whole season yeah and everyone's like it's gonna go down it's gonna go down it's gonna go down and we know it's gonna go down next season but the whole season he sustained 25 percent. it's not like it varied it, he ended the season with like 20 plus 24 25 percent shooting percentage. yeah i don't understand and it's like it seems unsustainable does that go in, that yeah and then that play that you described it's like it's not going to go in all the time for him it's like but it did for him mm. for that line it did yeah it's like oh come on and then even that even that bad goal that like jones let in by eric Halla or whatever on the goal line shot in game five that yeah. was like the third goal like jones first bad goal because the first two like weren't his fault mm. the last two were but that even that goal it's like yeah he didn't seal the post, but you look at his positioning and he's 
sealing the post pretty well. Like his pads I mean, covering not. the bottom, but that little crack, <laughs> that yeah. little crack, like under his arm or whatever, like he gets it in. Like, come on, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it like, seems like it's like attacked like, those. The thing things. is, like Flurry, I'm sure he had gaps, like in his posts and like in his yeah. arm and stuff. But think about Game Six, like. We hit like four posts in the first period, and it's like we we, we did not that get Nate that Schmidt puck like today. Either. What's up? We hit the back post in the camera. We hit the crossbar. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh gosh. So definitely, yeah. I think in terms of puck luck, and you know, it's gone the way of the Sharks definitely at times in history, but we were not. Not on the good side of that in, in this series. Yeah, but I take a I take a step back and I think I think their system is designed to attack those situations. Oh yeah, you know, like they purposely were taking those shots against the post, and it's yeah. not like Jones lets those in regularly. That's like the rule book is like, oh, he's got a bad post ceiling. It's like, no, he's good. Like he's good at that. Yeah, he's a good goalie. He can do that. Um. They just go. They went for I think, it. I think Holland beat him, chaos, and I think in that know? one instance he didn't seal it very well. Yeah. Like I, I, I disagree with you on that one. I, I think I, I would need poorly. to look at it again. But I remember the top-down view. I'm like, he seems pretty tight. Yeah, but I mean, the NHL goalie, it, it is everything is going to be by an inch or two, you know. Yeah. For the most part, but I, they just seem to attack those. Like they purposely were shooting at those. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, I don't have time and space and I need to get it on net and I, whatever, I'll just try to get it in and bank it off the goalie. It's like, no, they were purposely attacking these types of plays and it makes me wonder, it's like, does that affect the goalie in a certain way? Because you look at the Jets, I don't know how their shooting target area is, but the Jets are doing the same thing to Rene and his save percentage is terrible. Yeah. And it's just like, do you... Do you really attack the absolute extremes of the goalie to make them feel like they absolutely must be perfect at all times in the extremes in order to get a win? You know, is there a mental element to that? It seems to be a game plan because they were just taking these shots all the time. It's like, why are you shooting from like on the half boards at the goal line? Like, yeah. that's so stupid. But they, you know, they Not had shooting space. for a stick. They either. were playing like a hard four check and they, they had some open ice. Not the best shot, but they took it and they made a few, you know? And they made more than they should have, you know? Yeah, they definitely, like I said, they definitely had some low percentage, low percentage shots go in, you know? Yeah. And not all of them, I, like, and then obviously that get, goes against Jones because it's a low percentage shot that went in. But part of me is like, you, there's something to it, you know? It's mm-hmm. It seems fishy. Well, you know? the thing is, Jones... Jones had some bad goals, but he also made some like great saves in the series to keep the Sharks yeah. in it. Game four was just like great, but like even in the games that we lost, like games, for example, like game two and three, well, we won one of them, but even the one we lost, like he played solidly. Like for traditional, like great scoring chances, he made some yeah. great. Like think about it, a play, for example, like what you were saying with the way that Vegas plays in the zone, they'll create space not right along the boards, but a few feet off. And then they'll kind of do like an oval thing from the wall behind the post. And they'll like do like a tight oval, like cycling back to each other to create space. And then sometimes they'll drive in, they'll do a drop back pass to like the D-man or like another forward coming like where the hashes are. And then they would get like a one-timer. Jones Mm -hmm. like made saves on those types of shots like a lot 
you know he would yeah. just like get in the way of those like good one-timer plays but he would get beat on like those tight angle shots he got beat on that march or so like five hole thing on the turnover by vlasic in the last I mean, game um but like yeah. when jones was focused like ready like for a shot you know he he was really good but when it was like like you're saying those uncharacteristic like yeah. got to react quick thing like he got beat on those instances and it seems like the game plan is like partially to attack the psyche of the goalie mm-hmm. by making them you must be perfect at mm-hmm. all times all positions from anywhere otherwise you'll lose yeah and, and they the have thing. the skill to do that yeah definitely it's not like they're like you know Timo Meyer was doing shots like that when he first came up and you know he was uh told not to and eventually changed but you know he wasn't going to score but their their players are highly skilled more highly skilled than he is at least right now and uh they're doing it with much success Mm -hmm. the thing is like a lot of times when you take that low percentage shot and like the goalie makes like a kick save and then the goalie's team will like recover it on and make that that's like could be a great transition chance like that could lead to a three on two that can lead to a two on one and the sharks mm-hmm. are a pretty good team on capitalizing on those chances um and the sharks did have two on ones in this series you know but yeah flurry would make great saves and then their team his team would like back them up on like second third tries you know yeah. um the, the sharks by contrast play a very structured get in the offensive zone get your cycle game going tee up the shot get the shot on but the thing is like vegas would just collapse so hard like flurry was good at making the first save and then the dirty like second third chances they would get their sticks on they would lay their bodies in the way flurry would like sprawl out with his like athletic like quote-unquote athletic type goaltending and like get in the way of shots you know um they also would complain about interference and then you know Stop pucks that way too. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Miller, what an actor. My gosh. Wait, you're talking about the hurdle penalty? Yeah. I don't think I've ever wanted to get anything with that much gusto while being held back <laughs> in a long time. It's like he was on a game show with a bungee cord holding his back with like a harness. And then you're just trying to like climb with all his might across him. Just like, I need to get to where I need to go. I need to get to the goal. I need that million dollars. And then Hurdle was just like, literally just like, what are you doing? Like, I'm not doing anything. And then he was just he like, didn't oh, even see trying him. to reach over his back, trying to jump, trying to kick the leg. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Was that up. Colin so Miller or was so it Cody Eakin or Halla? It was like one of the, yeah. No, I'm pretty sure it was Miller. Dude, that was, su- that was the so stupidest call and I'm not talking about dangerous play. That was the stupidest call of the series. And that call was maybe the big, a biggest momentum changer at a critical point of the game. Like, they should not, absolutely should not have had that power play. And then they go up 2-0. And again, that leads into the argument of they score in bunches. They get pumped, and they'll keep on coming at you. And the Sharks are just like, the Sharks would reel, you know, when they'd get mm-hmm. one or two. And then they made a comeback a couple times. Game five, they made a comeback with the last 10 minutes and scored, what, three goals in, like, eight minutes? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. The, that was so frustrating, that game, you know? Yeah. The Sharks could have played time. better. You but brought this up. 
What's when that? Ward got called for interference for breathing on a Oh my gosh. Off. Dude, this is so much worse than that phantom Ward call a couple years ago, whatever that was. Against St. Louis or Nashville? I don't remember. Uh, see, like, over. Uh, I guess this is back to the officiating a little bit, but I feel like... Uh, like zoom out a little bit on the officiating this series. I feel like Vegas was allowed to play a measure of undisciplined play, holding, holding players, interfering, cross-checking, doing things like that, that they would not get called for on the other side. The sharks would make, and granted the sharks got away with one or two here and there, a la the fair hook before Sorensen's goal in game four. Granted, Vegas got three calls like before that in the first period that the refs didn't call. Anyway, uh, contrast with the I know, Sharks. You, you, you highlight that one. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's one, and I'm sure there's more. But it's not like calls didn't get called. Non-calls were about even. Yeah, there were some non-calls both ways. But I feel like the overall, like I said, this is like big view. I feel like the Sharks were like held to a higher standard of like you need to be more disciplined, and Vegas like was allowed to get away with like undisciplined stick calls and stuff and holding and that the is sharks exactly cannot get what away I'm with talking that. about when it comes down to the league or the ref saying i like this style of play i mm-hmm. will reward it yeah like the way vegas is playing quick strike offense we want them to win the conspiracy theory me and says <laughs> the nhl says we want a cinderella story therefore I want those I want those Batman Gate like Vegas Gate emails to be leaked in a few years and like, <laughs> see that it was actually a thing where it says let Vegas get what they want. But yeah, they complained to Vegas. Vegas complains after that fair pick and they're like they're interfering with us. And then and then Colin Miller decides to just like breathe on Hurdle and then fall over. No, he didn't awesome breathe on him. Penalty. He tried to climb him like he was a Rock tried to climb it like he was Everest. It looked as hard as Everest was. My gosh. I literally don't... I don't under... Like, I think... I watched that again, and I'm like... Where... How is he in his way when he initiates the contact by climbing on his just back? On his position in the face-off, he didn't move to impede him yeah he, just he skates there. forward not in his way like he's just he going around the puck anything to do that and then colin miller's like i will find hurdle and i will try to be the shell that is on his ninja turtle back and it <laughs> didn't stick and he tried to get his stick on the back and just like become that shell as hard as he could and it just didn't happen <laughs> that's so stupid oh uh, yeah, but that really tears me up inside that penalty was so frustrating <laughs> yeah It was so so bogus, and it was so upsetting that they scored on that power play. Yeah, and and (sighs) to a lesser degree, they also had the... uh, I didn't quite see it, but um, the Neal goal that same game came right after a penalty by Neal on Brendan Dillard. He just cross-checked And then like three seconds later, he is in open space because he just like penalized Dillon and then can shoot and score, and he does. And it's like, well, that's zero goals you should have had instead of two. Yeah. And, like, you were kind of talking about this, and we talked about this last night. We had a little argument about not getting too worked up because the emotions were running high after being eliminated. But um, I think, ultimately, at a low level, refereeing did affect gameplay. It did not affect the series. 
things would have looked a little bit different. Things would have looked different if the refing was a little more equitable to both teams. Yeah, I mean, it's and especially a... with the suspensions being big part of that, because then you have to call up someone, and Vegas does not have good depth. Yeah, for their reserves, um, it's like the Ducks, right? They lost Boschman or something like that, or they lost their bottom pairing person, and they had to bring up their like AHL pairing that just got like slaughtered the next game. Mm-hmm. It's like if Vegas does that, like it's going to look different. We attack that pairing, so. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely like a like a shoulda, woulda, coulda. Like you don't know what's gonna yeah. happen. And the Vegas like, play, you can't take away that Vegas played like a really good like. I wasn't that a, their transition wasn't amazing to me. It was like their their D and getting in the way of shots, whether they're forechecking or, or in their zone, you know, and like keeping mm-hmm. the puck in the zone and then like capitalizing on like good breaks, you know. Yeah, I think if Vegas didn't have Flurry. The series would have. Um, the, I think personally, I think the Sharks would have won. Because you say, because you say, like, I, I'm just surprised that you're like. Yeah, I'm not saying officiating. I think that was a factor, but I think there were a lot of other factors like flurry and like. Yeah, I think there were puck more luck in game factors. six and like. It this I'm just saying this series was like, pretty close in a lot of ways, despite the blowout in game one. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I agree. I think it. I think it comes down. I, so that's kind of what I'm saying to cap off the refing. I don't think the refing affected the outcome of the series. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Um. I think each game would have looked different potentially, or the games where it was a factor, it would have looked different. But I don't think the I end just, result would have changed. I just can't can't answer that question. Like I just don't know. Okay. Regardless of game six, which is the hurdle well, ga- interference, that right? game five hurdle call was huge game to five. me. And then the non, okay, so, non-suspensions on Vegas, like, those could have played a role, yeah. too. Yeah, I think the games would have looked different. I, I don't think we can say that the Sharks would have won those games. No, you I, can't I say we, anything. I'm just saying, like, those were yeah. very impactful things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, a power play runs at about 20 25%, so it's not necessarily that they would have had a goal because of it. Mm-hmm. It's also that Vegas would have not had a goal because yeah, a lot not of those calls like the directly resulted in a goal right after. By Colin Miller jumping on top of Hurdle, but I'm saying like that shouldn't have been called against Hurdle, and that's a big yeah, thing. Yeah, and then the Sharks have two minutes of pressure in the offensive zone. Yeah, when you're of... down by a goal, you're not going to take a you. stupid yeah. penalty, and he wasn't doing anything stupid or undisciplined. You know, it's like you should not be penalized for working to come back you know yeah i think that, it I wasn't think it was like so like not anything yeah clearly it wasn't even like the us. sharks were like forechecking and getting so over eager they were like in their zone and just like you standing there and it's like yeah i know it's so what? stupid what um <laughs> it just baffles me like that call yeah like was gerard gallant like i need you like, remember game four? Like, I need you to call, like, a really bogus interference call against the Sharks right now. Please. Okay, thank you. You'll get your, you'll get your check next week. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I don't think we lost the series. I'll say this, and I think you agree with me. We did not lose the series because of refing. No, we, I think we lost the series for a number of factors. Partly because the Sharks didn't play well enough. 
I think that's the biggest factor. That's a big factor, yes. What percentages was used? But I think that another factor is that the Vegas played well. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, like I, I want to give Vegas really credit. Well. I want to give. Facts yeah, I think Sharks, it's like, like fifty. To me, it's fifty percent Vegas played well and fifty percent Sharks did not play well. <laughs> and then inside of the Vegas playing, playing well yeah. thing is Flurry <laughs> being out of his mind good. Yeah, and that's like. 75% of that 50%. Well, no, I would like, I would say like whatever. I'd give the sh- the ref ref 50, 50. the officiating like a 10% allotment of impact. Okay. Or 50 15% allotment of impact potentially. Okay, I I'm okay with that. Does that make sense? And yeah, the rest is yeah, like I just, play I just of Vegas, make... play of San Jose, flurry yeah. being great, like I just want to make sure you're saying it's like less than like 20, you know. No, I'm not <laughs> like, saying like we lost because game. of this one call, you know. No. Yeah. Yeah, but I think as a if you look at the volume across the series and listeners, we clearly are biased for the Sharks. We're yeah. not oh, totally. We're not journalists. <laughs> we are fans of the if Sharks. If there happens to be a Vegas fan, like send us some video of like the Sharks doing illegal things cuz Yeah, please I'd please engage us on yeah. Twitter. We would love to be have an opportunity to show you why you're still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think I might agree with. No, that's it wasn't a lot, the biggest but it's, factor. It's a little it bit, did. right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I just go to the suspensions and I say, yeah, that would have been different. Yeah, Theodore. Like, one? think no, about Theodore and the way he played in Game Five, and that would have been the game that he probably should have been suspended, right? Or was it game... He would have been suspended for game six. Game six, okay. That too. So to me, (laughs) that 10% doesn't mean a reason why Vegas won. That is 10% that takes away from both. That 10% is now question mark because of the refing because you don't know what would would have happened. Yeah, I would say that's It takes away importance of Vegas playing well and the Sharks playing poorly. And that's where I feel comfortable assigning that. Do you feel like we can stamp refing out now? Yeah, yeah. I think... Okay, good. And the thing I think is that like, was important to talk about because we're going to talk about it later, but amongst ourselves for the next months. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> maybe years. That's the thing. Like, oh man, the Sharks being down, not chasing two or three goals in yeah, one or two in the of those game, games. They, they must win. Yeah, like, and they were they were down chasing for five out of those six games. Right. Right. Four out of those six? No, they scored the first one in they game three, the but then they ended up giving up game... three straight. Remember Meyer got that really nice power yeah. play goal? Oh, it was so good. I loved it. Um, and passed. then obviously they had the shoot they had the shutout win. Yeah. But other than other than those two games, Vegas scored the first goal in all of the other four games, mm-hmm. which I just verified earlier. So we actually didn't get back, end up talking about the Sharks play yet. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest contributing factors is things we've already said. I think Flurry takes a large portion of the reason why we lost. Yeah. Um, I think another almost as equally large portion, but maybe a little bit smaller, is the rest of the team mm. and their system and the fact that they're actually very, very good. And yeah. I think less so is the Sharks did not play well enough for long enough. Um, and something we also hadn't talked about is they didn't have Thornton. Yeah. And people will talk about like, oh, well, you know, like he's slow and then having him and Pavelski on the same line. 
would really have changed things and it really would have dramatically affected it's like okay if you push Kane down to the second line that's huge or if you put him down on the third line like that's huge or Don scoring the second or third line like that's huge like mm-hmm. and if I'm talking about if Thornton never was injured so he was playing the whole time as well not like he just came back for the series and they had to place him awkwardly after coming back from injury yeah like like if he just wasn't injured you know it's like you know who it's else like, is okay, slow think about Vegas young? Chris Tierney <laughs> think about Vegas and then take away Jonathan Marsha show take away Carlson how good are they or James Neal very different he's older right yeah, yeah but just no, talking definitely. about their best player I think but I think the Thornton question is a little bit nebulous because the Sharks were took on a slightly different form, you know, once Kane was acquired at the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I think Thornton going down and acquiring Kane was I mean, obviously they were different, but they were pretty close. Mm. It was probably about like 6 or 7 games apart. So they had a little bit of time of struggling. No, 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 okay no, no. After they had like a, I remember reading Fort an article, was there was like a 15 game stretch because they said the Sharks went like 7-7-1 seven, seven and one in that stretch without Thornton before Kane came. Kane, Kane, yeah, Kane. it was about a month apart. It was, yeah. Thornton was injured on January 23rd, trade deadline I think is February 26th or something. Yeah, yeah. So, a month's time to figure things out, they did okay. Um, Kane really juiced things up. We've talked about Kane playing poorly. Pavs didn't play good. Donskoy didn't really do much at all. Yes. Donskoy probably was... Kane was the worst on that line. Okay, Don's let's say the caveat, like, everybody well. did great in game four. Yeah, sure. Except maybe Kane. Because <laughs> we don't like Because I didn't really notice him. But I think everybody yeah. did. Everybody played great in game four. Like... Something happened that game where, like, they were just going, you know? Even Martin Jones, because Vegas still had some chances. Um, yeah. Second line, clearly best line the whole dude, series. Dude, Hurdle, Hurdle was such a beast. That's, like, so encouraging. Hurdle, like, a beast. Hurdle, our Couture. next, like, playoff. Like, even the Stanley Cup final, before he got injured. And that game, too, was, like... Dude, what if he was healthy the whole series? I know, I mean, right? the whole series, what could have happened? He he can be, like, in our future, he can be, like, a game changer. And he almost like, was. Couture. Yeah. Couture, Couture is, in like, the playoffs is, like, beast mode on. Let me mature and be one of the best players in the playoffs in the last three years. Thanks. Dude, when we went to the final and he had 31 points. And he only played one games. playoff round last year. And he's like, oh, still top six scorers in the last three years. <laughs> It's like okay. He's so good. He's so yeah. underrated good. Yeah, he's so good. Like our hurdle, draft, our hurdle and Couture, the next Thornton and Marlowe, in terms of importance for the team. Ooh. I'm gonna throw that out there, Ian. Dude. In terms I of think... forward forward production and importance, I think they might be I think so, yeah. I mean Couture clearly is the next cornerstone of the franchise. Yeah. As we he will be the the next transition as mm-hmm. Thornton leaves, it'll be him and Pavelski. But Pavelski's kind of like an in between generation, like between Thornton and yeah, Marlowe yeah. and Couture. And yeah. Um, I'm looking at game four to see if Kane scored in that game and he didn't. So you're right. He was not noticeable in the game four, 4 0 shutout win. Yeah. That was such three. a good game. Like, nope, game four. That was like, that was like how the Sharks needed to play yeah. that series then, for. 
the whole 60 minutes and it was unfortunate yeah. that they couldn't put that together more often yeah the third line i i don't i think tyranny was very disappointing he was what i think tyranny was very disappointing yeah well it yeah the third line wasn't very good yeah but then um when and, you look you know, at the to third be honest, line, I know I know you were saying this in our little preview before we actually started recording. <laughs> but I didn't think Meyer was that great this series either. No, and I neither don't think was so. LeBlanc. Sorry. I agree. I do not think he was as good as he was mm-hmm. to finish the season. Um, but I still think of the third line players, he probably was the best performing. Mm-hmm. Meyer, like he Maybe. had, he, he was noticeable during games with a positive impact, but it was not nearly what we want from him. Maybe I think that might just be because you're looking for him all the time. I look at him a lot, yeah. <laughs> so there's bias there. I try to follow what he does, so I look at him and. But uh, uh, but his big body style of play was good. He had a couple chances that went wide. Yeah, I think goal. what I like about Meyer is like he he has that little element of the Sharks that you were kind of mentioning on Vegas. Like he'll go for it. He'll take the shot off like the odd angle that the goalie won't expect. Mm-hmm. And he'll just go for a shot like that's unexpected, and the goalie will be like, yeah, like "What?" In this case, that's you a know? puck on net. That's always a good thing. Yeah, he I mean, he was he was closed down a lot, so he couldn't do that very much. But yeah, um, and their uh, third line was Cody Eakin, Alex Tuck, and then Oscar Lindbergh, mm-hmm. who was not always. I'm trying to think. Was not always on the third line. I think Carpenter. No, he's always on the fourth, I think. Who was Tartar? He wasn't playing Tartar every game was either, I think. Uh, Lindbergh didn't play every game in the series, which is what I mean to say. Tatar didn't go either, I think. I think I don't think he played game Correct, one. he did not. Mm-hmm. And the mystery left winger on that third line. That's a pretty good third line. Yeah. And so when you say Tierney's line was not that good, like he basically had two rookies and a half veteran. You know, Tierney's been around for a few seasons, but not a lot. Um, so they definitely had their hands full for that one. Yeah. Um, but, and, yeah, I mean, Tuck is a Tuck is a uh, first-round draft pick in 2014 from Minnesota who played two years at Boston College, playing very well. Osper Lindbergh is the Rangers' first-round pick. Cody Eakin is a veteran second, third-line center in Dallas for a few years. So, yeah, yeah that's a lot of high skill. And big, uh, Tierney big. is still trying to get into his own in LeBanc and Meyer. They're improving, but they're, they still play like rookies, you know. It was growing pains, you know, like. Yeah. The whole the team played really great, and I don't I don't think it's definitely the worst thing that could have happened for. I mean, we started this podcast talking about the adversity that you go through as a fan of a team, or like kind of as the team. But I mean, this wasn't a bad, this wasn't a bad season for our young players in terms of like stuff to go through and experience to gain, because mm-hmm. they were able to play really well as a team and be have that capacity to be a really good team, even against Vegas, like in Game Four. Uh, they started the first period off great in games two, three, four, five, and six. Um, great first periods, you know, like they didn't put complete efforts, but 
then they had they they went through some trouble you know in a series and they lost a series and that's experience that will be valuable for LeBanc and Meyer yeah um Tierney and Donskoy have been there done that with the final and everything but those kind of up and comers I think that'll be valuable experience for them moving forward you know and developing as pros this is their first well LeBanc had played a little bit the season before but this was Meyer's first full NHL season LeBanc's first full NHL season too yeah Um, they both basically had half seasons last year yeah LeBanc's first playoffs what's that LeBanc's first playoffs because Meyer played last season oh that's right yeah Oilers and he did well so and Donskoy and Tierney like they're young players but they've seen a lot for their time in the playoffs, you know? Um, I think, I think uh, Tierney and Donskoy, I think they, I think Tierney had a good season. He had a prove it contract. mm -hmm. I think he, he'll, he'll be rewarded in this off season. Donskoy still bothers me. He shows this brilliance and this able ability to just like dominate games and control it. And then is gone for the next 10 games. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's, like, made of glass, too. He's yeah, so he's often injured, injured. And part of me is, like, is it because you're always coming back from some sort of something that you are so streaky? You know, Maybe. is it because you have these kind of somewhere between minor to medium injuries somewhat more frequently than I think other players would have that makes you so streaky? But then you see him come back from his injury and he comes back at a great pace and then falls off afterwards. So it's just like, dude, that's what's frustrating to me. But before we get into off-season grades and like season grades, I think the fourth line was amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. they got Soren, beat in game six, but games four and five, they're really dude, good. Whatever. The whole team got beaten game six. As a series, <laughs> yeah. the fourth line yeah. played amazing. You know? Fair is exactly like that was the vision Peter DeBoer has for his fourth line center. Yeah. And that's why Daniel Regan couldn't fill it. That's why Ryan Carpenter couldn't feel it, fill mm-hmm. it. Carpenter is being successful in Vegas as a winger, but we already have wingers on our fourth line. We don't need a fourth line winger. We need a fourth line center, which is why we waived him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just a seventh round pick for a older but not old player in fair um he won a cup he knows what it takes completely defensively responsible he was out there at the end of the games needing to lock down protect the leads to get the win in the playoffs taking faceoffs. Mm-hmm. you know he was yeah, absolutely yeah, counted yeah. on Sorensen, a beast all playoffs oh my long. gosh in the duck like series getting like the first in the playoffs yeah yeah dude like just absolutely just chasing pucks getting their deep first so along fast. the boards and he holds on to the puck he pulls on the puck so well and he just gets there waits yeah. for his team to arrive and support and or as the defenseman goes to retrieve the chip puck he gets in there fast pins them and digs it out and yeah. dishes it to a teammate or makes him move a pass and then scores himself but he uses his speed to enhance his forechecking to no other yeah and it's awesome That's exciting. he does such a good job Sorensen is an exciting player like a player to be excited he's, about. He is a fourth line, third line talent, which is, you know, okay. Uh-huh. But I think he's finally getting into where he is in this roster and why he is there. And 
how he can use his skills. And it's great to see him evolve like that. Um, and against the Ducks, he had like the first goal of the game like three times. Yeah. It was awesome. I loved it. And then he had that super, super sick, dope goal <laughs> or he like went through the whole Vegas Dang, team through, and just yeah. dominated. Second time he gets stripped and gets yeah. <laughs> it's a goal. Yeah, seriously. Um, I think Bodker played really well too. Yeah, I really he, think we talked he about him. uses his skating. He uses his puck protect. You know, his like lean on his right yeah. side, holding holding it on his like back or his forehand or whatever, and then he just like draws a penalty. That's like his thing. He like loves to just yeah, I think hold it and draw a penalty. I love how him Meyer and Hurdle can draw penalties, and I'm pretty sure. Um. Let me look at this. Continue talking. I'll look at this. But I think so. Anyways, Hurdle draws penalty or Timo Meyer draws penalties at a very good rate. Yeah. So does Hurdle and so does Bodker. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like Bodker for how he would like circle the wagons like that. But now he started to insert his like commanding element of the game where he can do that. But then also has fitted in within the realm of the Peter DeBoer system. Yeah. So now instead of just isolating himself, circling the wagons, the teams is like, what are you doing? He's drawing penalties. He's mm-hmm. dishing the puck at the end. He's not trying to do it all himself. He's making his play within the context of the larger system, and it's effective now. And he, in the second half of the season, he was doing really well, which makes me really hopeful for next season. Yeah, I, I definitely don't want to give up on Bodker. I don't want to give mm-hmm. up on Donskoy. Um, I don't want to give up on Donskoy either. majority of this group will stick together and learn mm-hmm. to play with each other better. Because I think we have the talent there, and I think if they can grow together and continue to play with a lot of this roster, at maybe adding some a key piece or two with like a top line, second line talent or two, in the off season, like, and letting the team just gel more together. Our defense is great, you know. I sorry, I missed. You said who? With more time to gel. And... Oh, Bodker, and then I said Donskoy. Yeah. I but I mean, just that. like the group as a whole, like including those guys. Um, Wait, I'm they, talking about yeah, more for time the to gel. I think that's good, but yeah. we're also missing the de- the defense. I think that's the last box we need to tick before we offseason okay. roster talk. Yeah, I think our defense is good. I mean, I mean, we couldn't contain the top line, but outside of that, the rest of the Vegas team didn't necessarily seem dangerous. Yeah. Whereas highly skilled. The second line is with James Neal. He was not nearly as dangerous as he should have been. Mm-hmm. Maybe on the Predators when he was like a huge factor in their success against us, which they ultimately lost to us, but they played the very, very tight series and very close series mm-hmm. when we went to the final. Um, but Burns, for what his contract is, he needs to be better defensively. Yeah, Offensively, he had five points in six games, which is good mm-hmm. two goals three assists that's what we want from him um easily you know that post that he hit in game six could have been a third goal you know but he was a minus six mm-hmm. and two of those minuses came from the game one loss so it's not like he got like minus five in the first game you know i think he was a plus player once mm-hmm. so you know he needs to be better because with his contract that will limit us and we will live and die by the burns mm. you know he is the sword that we live and die 
by, by now. I want Vlasic and Braun to be able to handle that type of play better. I don't know why they couldn't contain them, the Carlson top line, but they couldn't. And it was like the first time where I think they've been dominated like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anything else to add? It's so hard to like, it's so easy to look at a stat sheet and be like, they were dominated. But like, if you look at the game and each particular like scenario with each goal, you're like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> like, oh, you're kind of doing your assignment, but that's a bad bounce or that's, I'm just saying, I guess I don't really remember any like super missed coverage issues or anything thing. like that, you know? I don't get it. Like, you don't see why they score. Like, there was the... Okay, there was the Burns, Paul Martin, Gaff. Yeah. That Carlson scored on to win game three in OT or whatever. Clearly, that's a defensive mistake. But all the other goals, like, maybe... I'm just not looking close enough. But it wasn't, like, glaring stuff. Or there wasn't a lot of glaring things. It was just like, oh, they scored. What? Oh. Well, minus uh, game one, they were just dancing through our and forward defensive <laughs> defensive play just the score that was bad but um besides that yeah I, I have a hard time nailing down um oh no what way. they needed to do differently Tomas Tomas hurdle drew the most minor penalties in the playoffs nice with 11 and how many points because did he, he was playing so like well. nine or ten in the playoffs hmm he finished with like nine or ten points in the playoffs, I think. Uh, that's on a different graph. Oh wait, I can look at it. <clears throat> anyway, like yeah, he had nine points in ten games, six goals, six yeah. goals and three assists for nine points in ten games. That's really good. He uh, he really turned it up. What um, a beast! Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. I think. Uh, Getting tired now, but <laughs> that that was just um, the Sharks not playing at their best for too much of the time. Vegas playing their their game more of the time. Um, and like you yeah, said, like it's I hard said. to pinpoint where their offense really. They, they took advantage of key moments and key turnovers and. Like I said, I don't think they got it. They burned us in transition too much on two-on-one set plays very much. Well, so. I think they did burn us in transition. Not necessarily via breakaways. Yeah, not but like But they had a lot I mean. of their goals were not necessarily like a clear player coming right in front of the goalie straight line as the defenseman is chasing behind them. But they had a lot of their goals from off to the side where the defenseman is in line, but the player has time and space to shoot. So kind of like those kind of half breakaway type things. But I do think they were burned in transition because they were burned off of turnovers in the neutral zone. And I mm-hmm. would consider that transition. Yeah. I guess it Actually, depends no, on I how think, you define it. Like, yeah, no, I, I guess you're like, right. I would, yeah. I, would I think say, we're on the same page, but it, it, it wasn't like the traditional, like, Speed two on one, two on zero. Oh, like yeah, what br- straight breakaway? Like where they it was scored like quick a bunch. Thinking, you know? fast thinking, not fast feet. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I guess I do agree with you. Transition is when defense starts to offense. Yeah. So you are right. So they didn't burn us in transition a lot, although they do had some half break lays, like, but think that about, was from neutral zone play. Think about the first goal of the last game in game six. Carlson just like gets his body in the way. They're able to keep it in the zone. Marchessault is hanging around the net. He's wide open. He just gets it under Jones' pad. He like shoots at yeah. his crotch and it like bounces under his pad. Yeah. Um like that what do you call that? That's not because they were speedy. That's because they were forechecking and like getting yeah, in the way of puck. Zone forechecking. And that exactly. they, they took advantage of that opportunity. They saw an open man. It's not like they like that was because they were really fast. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. And there was one thing where they beat us on the power play a lot. Like game. Oh yeah, we didn't talk about their power play. I thought I think we both had this same note when we were looking at this stuff before recording. Game, their power play is really good. Yeah, their power play was good. And game uh, it's lethal three is where game three is where we gave up like some bad penalties in in they gave that, like three or four chances and they scored three unanswered um, and then then we mounted a comeback but couldn't win in overtime. That that was bad. Like their power play was really good, and that that power play is where they got like cross ice one timers, a couple of them. Um, one of them was behind. Yeah, they had the two net. power play goals in a row. Yeah, one for of them was Miller behind the net to like Show. Smith, and it bounced a little bit, and then the other one was a cross ice like one timer from Marcheseau. Um, yeah, and that was a pretty effective power play then. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is is it seemed like the power play just looked so different from most of the team's power plays because it wasn't like here's our position cycle the puck around to a set play that we want like the sharks do and like every other team does it was like a 50 50 blend on using those same like kind of dice position where player in front of the net player in the middle player in the half boards on each side and then player up top Mm -hmm. plus player down lower or whatever and then, like, cycle it around, kind of stay in those positions, move around in the lanes you have there, and then go for a shot and then one-timer in or get a shot and deflect it in or something like that. It seemed like they were just cycling like they normally do, a little bit off the boards, like they play in open play on 5-on-5. Five five. But then they would kind of half-mix that by having players, having one or two players kind of being in their positions traditionally on the power play, but there was like a lot more movement within each set position, if you know what I mean. So it was like kind of like they were playing five on five with their like cycling around mm-hmm. the edge of the boards, but they not kept on skating, the boards. Right? They just skated everywhere yeah. instead of passing. And it drew players off, not necessarily because they couldn't react to the pass or they opened a lane with their stick as they moved it, it was the players were pulled out of position because they had to they had to respect the player skating to where they were mm-hmm. and that made their penalty kill look really lethal when it was set up their penalty kill or power play, power play. play. yeah 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 so what does next season look like what does the off season look like oh oh boy we're 2 hours in <laughs> Yeah, just, I think we've already talked about it a bit. So, But you know what? This is good. This was I, the talk we needed to have. This is the closure we needed. This is our last one in a, a couple months probably. So, um, yeah, until something happens. I think a big thing for me is is really 
really curious to know what happens to Joe Thornton. And I think yeah. like emotions, not aside, like into it, like you want him to come back. Like yeah. once Thornton's gone, that's like an era that has passed yeah. Um, yeah. with fringes remaining in, in Vlasic and Pavelski. And that's like, that's it. <laughs> um, like pre Couture. Really, even. just Pavelski, because Vlasic is. Vlasic played before Pavelski. Vlasic yeah, but played Vlasic at like entered 18. the NHL like 18 or He 19. was like a baby. Yeah, and Pavelski took the hard path. So. Yeah. Um, Pavelski is pretty young, too, I think. But no, he's anyway. like 33. Yeah, whatever. Uh, maybe. Um, anyway, I think. It seems strange that Joe Thornton wouldn't. I think he's such a competitor and enjoys playing so much that he would come back because people are throwing it out like, oh, is he even going to play in the NHL anymore? It's like, I think he will. I hope he does. Um, I mean, it w- I think it would be surprising if he didn't, given how productive he was while he was playing this season. Yeah. And we saw that coming, he has the ability to fully rehab off of a knee injury like that and come back and be productive. And he's such a timeless player that, like, even though the game is, yeah, becoming more faster or whatever, like, he can still be productive even amidst that. He, his his hockey IQ, his ability to be a playmaker is just so high that he'll 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 still do well, you know. His he game need isn't to be based a hard, on speed. Hard skater. So as he gets slower, it's not like it's really degrading his play, you know. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't need to be a hard heart. Like I said, he doesn't need to be the fastest guy. Like. He needs to play his game, and he'll be okay. I think. I think he wants to stay in San Jose. Um, oh yeah, I don't think he would. I mean, who knows? It sounded like after this off season, it sounded like he was much closer to leaving and going to Toronto than he made it seem, given from what some people were reporting. Um, but we'll never truly know. But I, I kind of agree. Like, I think there's a reason why he didn't go to Toronto with Marlowe, You know. Like, yeah. it was Toronto, and Joe Thornton is a laid-back guy, and he had that pressure in Boston, and he didn't like it. Yeah, he'd hate and that. he was ousted, and he was the scapegoat when he was unfairly put on him, and he came here, and he's loved it ever since. Yeah. Oh, my and gosh. Honestly, I just brought like, up his profile. Him, you want him to stay, like, towards the end of his career. Like, he, I think the biggest thing is he needs to finally get to the point where he takes on, like, a, a diminished role, like, third yeah. line, you know? Yeah, and there's a lot of that being written now. If he comes back, will he be on the first line? Yeah. I mean, if you bring... Will he get $8 million? No. No, no, no. I mean, no, we no, said no, no, no last season and he got it. He did, but a second knee injury... And he's a year. I mean, older. I think he was given eight million to make sure he didn't leave at the Dude, same time. Dude, he'll be giving was. a he'll be given a generous like benefit of the doubt deal, but not eight million again. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Probably six, I would say. Yeah, I could see maybe six, Cause it's, but cause like I think it's going to be one. I wouldn't year be surprised if he takes on. like four something or five something for another year. Oh, I don't think so. I think. But he six. said, remember that he's like at the point where he's okay with just taking one year contracts now and seeing how things go. Yeah, and that's why I think it'll be a little bit higher. Yeah. Because normally those numbers get lower with more seasons. 
And I think, uh, yeah, I think he's at the point where he's just going to do one-year contracts from now on, which I think is appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, like I don't want him to become 40 and then have another year on his deal and then retire one year into his three-year deal and then we have to buy it out or something, you know. like it just. I don't think he'd want to do that either. Um, yeah, dude, he's played for so long. But I just, I just want to keep on seeing him. He's played for 20 him. seasons. I want to see him continue to rack up points and like pass people on the all-time list. And then, like, retire and be like, NHL, you're so stupid for not putting him in the top 100 players all time. Thanks for choosing this guy from, like, 1918 who played in, like, a super different league. Yeah, no one cares about that. It's like, what are you doing with that list? The Seattle Metropolitans won the Stanley Cup in 1917 when it was, like, an invitation tournament or whatever. Yeah, It's like, yeah, 1917 or something like that. It's like, no one... It's like, no one cares. There wasn't like a 32-team league then, like it will be in a season or two when the new Seattle franchise yeah, joined. It was it's so like, hard to win the, win the Stanley Cup in 1920. Like, yeah, they played like four and games. And that was all the four Cup. teams were really battling. <laughs> it's, they were Stanley Cup winners. Oh, my goodness, what a rarity. Like, <laughs> the argument that he hasn't won the Stanley Cup is like, eep. He's probably a lot closer than a lot of those guys maybe would have been. I don't know. I don't know. what I, You can't know those things for sure, but he definitely deserves to be top 100 all time. That's ridiculous. Yeah, where is he? He's currently 16. If he plays one more season, he'll pass Tamu Solani if he gets 30 points. Yeah. And I don't... And if he gets 40 points, he can pass Stan Mikita. I don't see him... I think he could get 40 points. Unless he comes back severely different. But then, to jump between Stan Mikita and, at 14, and 13 is Paul Coffey at 1,531 points, which is another... 104 points more than Joe Thornton has. Oh, wow. I think that would be two or three seasons. So I think he could pass Stan Mikita and Tamu Solani mm-hmm. with one season. Hopefully yeah. not two. Or at least within the second season. Or Hopefully like he scores 40-plus points. I think he can score 40-plus yeah, He was on track Joe for that Thornton for sure. Does. Yeah. So I think he could take possession of 14th all-time. Joe Thornton at 50% could realistically score 40 plus points and the thing is is you know if he drags on his one-year contracts in you know 104 points over three seasons is you know 34 points a season he could do that for three seasons i think if he can keep it up if he wants to play for that long and then if he does that he could take 12th place all time and pass mark recce who's only two points ahead of paul coffee you know uh but then above Mark Recchi is Ray Bork with 1579. So it's like, well, who knows? Probably not. Yeah, it'd be tough. Um, you know what would be... I don't see him playing for like four or five. You know what I think is sad? Um, I haven't been Sharks fan long enough to like have witnessed when Joe Thornton like, came to the Sharks and like had 100-plus point seasons. Like, I, I didn't witness those games. Like, yeah, that would be... Just the dominance, like multi-point games, like all 
so much of the time like that would have that would have been cool to see yeah so i i think they bring thornton back reduce six million or so mm-hmm. maybe five i would probably think six just because how the team is still so purely around him um evander kane we both said we don't want him back but if Evander Kane, cause partly because I think he's going to command a lot of money, mm. and he doesn't seem to gel. Personality-wise, it seems like he does gel, given what the team has said, how they like him, and how he's yeah. so fond of the team and his experience here. System-wise, um, though. System-wise, I think he is a little bit of an outcast and a little bit of a rock in a hard rock in a smooth area or something like that. It just doesn't really fit. Um, it took Bod- Bodker didn't fit either, and it took him a long time to get in here. Yeah, you know, until a place where he can. Um, and Bodker's so still Kane a specialist in a way. You know, he's still a little different. Yeah, and if Timo Meyer makes a makes another equivalent jump, you know, and scores twenty five points, maybe forty fifty points total, twenty five goals instead of just twenty or twenty one, and then maybe hits. You know, he had like 30 points or something this season. And uh, maybe he, you know, gets 40 or 50 points. You know, because he really had so many goals, but he did not have... He had 21 goals and 15 points for 36 points. If he takes another jump, like, I could see him hitting 50 points. You know, just upping the assist totals maybe. If he yeah. gets more, if he gets more assists than he did goals, he'll be in the forty upper forties. So, so let's so talk about. Um, does Timo fill up Kane's role for less money? You know, because if Kane doesn't resign, we have this big hole in our top line that we need fixed. So, who fills that? Mm-hmm. You know, James Aaron Riesdyk is a UFA. We could also trade. I'm not opposed to trading to fill that role if it fills it correctly. You know, I don't care that we lost Danny O'Regan. But he was a second round pick. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Evander Kane filled in and showed us if we have this spot filled with a player of this caliber, this is what this team is. And obviously, it will be like a throwaway and we'll have lost it. And yeah, this is not good. We don't want that. But um, I just don't think, I personally, I just don't think Kane is that right fit. And I don't want to reward him with another seven years here because you mm. know he's going to get a seven year contract, you know? Mm. he's going to get a ton of money and I don't want to lock him in for that long for his on ice play and his off ice personality. So um, let's talk free agents a little bit more. Um, Um, I was going to say Ward is not going to be back. Ward is what? Ward and Hanson are not going to be back and that's 5 million off the books. Yeah. Um, Donskoy is not up. Tierney is going to get a Upgrade. He'll probably get two point something million. Hurdle is up for a contract. He's at three. He'll probably get like five or something, five and a half. And he'll be extended for like six years or something. Seven years. So I think we'll have those two monies going in and like UFAs, you want to talk UFAs, who do you want? What do you think would be a good fit? John Tavares. No. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like okay, he yes, would, we want probably, John but like that's gonna be really tough to get that player. I mean, I think the Sharks have a great case, but if this whole thing comes down and John Tavares resigns with the Islanders after 
after he hits free agency, I won't be so mad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, dude, way to go. Commit yourself to a failing franchise. Just, you know, the Islanders are so poorly run. <laughs> just mad at They're him. They're so for bad. Reciting. What? I think we should sign Henrik and Daniel Sedin. <laughs> they retired. Also, They're did done. you know that uh, Ryan Klo is listed as a free agent still? Yeah, because he's still he's that finally contract. finishing his contract. Dude, I mean, poor him for you know getting concussions and yeah. stuff, but great for him. Dude, what if the Sharks signed James Neal? Oof. Dude, take James Neal and put him in the place for. Yeah, uh, Kane. yeah, dude, I like that. Neil's a good player, and he's a playoff guy too. I feel like he's a playoff guy. Plays a little bit of grit, like another three-year transition, you know. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to like. I think our, I think LeBanc and Tierney, no, uh, LeBanc and Meyer and Donskoy are all like top six player talent. They just need to grow into it. I don't want to commit six, seven years to a top six player, you know, mm-hmm. who's who would take away that spot from them. Yeah, he's only paid five million, and he's been pretty much producing at the same points for as long as he has for a long time. Around fifty points, twenty goals, solid lock for that. I'd be totally good paying him that. I like that. Wow, James Neal, man. Yeah, that'd be good. And he's a winger, so it's not like clogging with a center. Uh, there's also Paul Stastny. Um, James Van Riemsdyk is a name that's thrown around How a lot. How old is Stastny? Yeah, Paul Stastny is going to be a free agent. Um, you know what about JVR? Is uh, one of the writers on The Athletic, um, Justin Bourne, he rips James Van Riemsdyk for his defensive, just like not caring mm-hmm. so often. I don't want him on our team because mm-hmm. that's so important to us in like playing the system. And while he is very good in front of the net and has made his bread and butter and scored 36 goals this season doing that, amongst other things, like he clearly is a talent. But I see an issue with his ability to play in our system. If Mike Babcock can't make him fit in our system, who is like an amazing coach. It's not like some mediocre coach that he doesn't believe in. It's like Babcock. He's one of the all-time good hockey coaches right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm i a little shying away from him because of that. But I'll take those 36 goals. Yeah. How old is... Uh, Tyler Bozak is tossed around too, but he's 32. I don't really... He only have 11 goals this season. I don't really want that. I think that um, I feel like that would be adding another Bodker. <laughs> hmm? I feel like that would be adding like another Bodker. Yeah. In terms I agree. of like level of production and also like the reliability for being good. JVR or Bozak? Bozak. Reliability? Yeah, Why? for like producing. Like you may not oh, get we need to fill that forty three points again, you know. Yeah, what about David Perron? Ugh, no, I don't like 29, him. I think, Joe Thornton giving him a concussion would kind of <laughs> dismiss that. But as a third-line player, he had 66 points in 70 games. Yeah, that's insane. That's a ton yeah, of assists. 16 goals and 50 assists. Wow. 
Um, where's Stastny? He is 32 years old. He How had 16 goals, goals and 37 assists. See, I think 32 is just a little too old. Yeah. James Neal's younger at 30. Yeah, I think 30 is okay. Mm-hmm. Ryan Close only 35. <laughs> uh, I miss Ryan Close. That was a different, different kind of smaller era. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, if the Sharks get Tavares, he's going to get major money, ten million plus seven years guaranteed for whatever team he signs with, ten to twelve. The Sharks can afford either number for seven years. Great. If they get him, obviously we're in such a good situation. We can take a year or two to get that other player who we need in that top spot. You know, or maybe Thornton comes back. Thornton moves to wing, or Tavares is a winger, or I don't know how the centers would play out in that system. But obviously, if you get a player of Tavares's ilk, we're set. You know, mm-hmm. I think if that was the only move we made, great. But we have the ability to get Tavares and someone else. You know, um, in the Sharks are always that like dark horse candidate and all these huge free agent names to go out and get someone big. They're always like kind of like that last party not really named until after the fact. Mm-hmm. Doug Wilson. Like Stamkos was a couple yeah, years Stamkos. ago. Yeah, but he met with us and yeah. we were one of the finalists, I think. He just he just was playing hardball with the Lightning and re-signed. Yeah. But, um, you know, so obviously that's the primary goal get get Tavares and then after you put all of our stuff for Tavares like get someone else to fill in Kane or if they want to re-sign Kane I don't want it to happen but that is a good move by the Sharks I don't like it I don't want it to happen Mm -hmm. but I think he would probably gel better with you know a full off season of we want you to train this way and then full training camp full preseason stuff you know I think he would be better yeah. But um You think Eric Fair comes back? Yeah, he's he's only 30, right? Yeah, but do you think the Doug Wilson's going to really push to keep him, keep him on the team? Oh, dude, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. I think he I mean, Fair is now competition for Gambrell. That's true, yeah. Yeah, because Gambrell's, uh, he's our, currently, I think he is the best player not playing on the team. Except for he was in such a position that he could negotiate a way to immediately burn a year, I'm not sure if he burned a year of his contract, but to be brought up with the team for the rest of the season. And all of the playoffs was with the team, just didn't play. Mm -hmm. He was able to negotiate that into his contract instead of just playing with the AHL for the rest of the season and their playoff run. He mm-hmm. did not play with the AHL in the playoff run. Mm-hmm. And they clearly could have used someone of his skill. He's the highest skilled forward not in playing on the sh- not playing in the playoffs, but kind of not on the Sharks, even though he's traveling with the team. Yeah. You know, so obviously the Sharks are high on him and where does he fit in? He's a center, fill in lower lower six, bottom six, and DeBoer is all about competition. So Rudolph Balsers is top scorer for the uh, Barracuda, and I think he's a winger. I don't think he is 
a um, uh, I don't think he's a center. Let's find Balsers. Yeah, Balsers is a left wing. So, um, with all these young players coming in, what do you think about Carlson being traded? I mean, Melker I would understand Carlson. it. I think it would be sad to lose Carlson because he's just been such a dependable player. Yeah, That's... but we have this logjam on our bottom lines <sighs> yeah. of skilled players needing to come up. And I think, personally, like if we were traded Melker Carlson, that's like a legit asset. Like he may be a third yeah. line, fourth line player, but he can fill in on the second line if he needs to for a game or two. Ultimate penalty killer, you know. Works hard too. Works so hard. Signed for a reasonably good contract, two million through nineteen twenty season, twenty seven. Mm. He'll be thirty when his contract ends, I think. Yeah. Like that's a good contract, and if we need to trade to get someone, I think he's a good asset to give up, given that we have these young players coming in who we need to give time and need to integrate into the system. Because do you want to toss Barclay or Gaudreau around again? Do you um, like want to give him the run around up and down to the AHL? Like He clearly showed that he can stay in the NHL and he deserves to be here. Like, Are you going to move Marcus Sorensen yeah. off of the fourth or third line again. Like LeBanc, Tierney, Meyer, like Gambrell clearly negotiated his way to the club, so he, I would assume he starts the season with us. Like Donskoy, you're not moving. Hansen's gone. Ward's gone. That basically leaves top six. Like the bottom six is now young players that need to transition upwards. Mm-hmm. And they can't be logjammed by older players who are filling the holes. So maybe, maybe Fair doesn't return, you know. But yeah, I think he does, given the whole trouble that that threw us the whole season, and the fact that Peter DeBoer wants to roll four lines all the time. You know, he needs a solid fourth line, and um, Fair gives him that. Yeah, it'll be some tough decisions, I think. Um, it's hard to say what will happen exactly. But it will be an interesting offseason. Um, just given the fact that there are there is a lot of cap space, I expect the Sharks to go after free agents. Um, like you said, getting, getting this log jam squared away of kind of what's going to happen. I might have to bleed into the season a little bit. So Yeah, and you know, if we the first twenty games of the season we still feel things out. You know, the Sharks did that this season and we ended up just fine. You know, we made one small tinker, but I think overall like if Evander Kane does not re sign and we do not get Tavares we're in trouble we're in trouble but clearly Doug Wilson knows that too and has like 20 million dollars of cap space to go and do something with and he knows his job like honestly his job is on the line if he fails and comes back with like nothing or just like just flops with 
the absolute like we are at the we are at a huge point in this franchise's history not history but just like future if he does not do this transition well we are screwed for a long time mm-hmm. you know and we potentially don't have a first round pick if Kane resigns to help us manage that transition if things don't go so well mm-hmm. so I, I think I think you'll be able to pull something out. Let's let's not rule out like a trade potentially too. I think trades on the table for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like if we if look at the want... free agents, we know that he's not always a huge free agent splasher. Yeah, I mean, I think he does when there's value there that he wants and will get. Um, like obviously he will splash for Tavares, and I could see him splashing for the other big names like Reemstek or something. Neil intrigues me a lot now, and I'm like all for Neil right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I got I just, myself upset. I'm upset because he's on Vegas now. But, but yeah. yeah, we could steal their one of their best players. I, I would, yeah, be I, would, I would be down for Neil on our team. Yeah, yeah. So I think I don't really have much more to say than if we don't get Tavares, things will be very interesting, and I think Doug Wilson will really have to wheel and turn things around to get it where he needs it. You know, like clearly that's plan A. And if we need to go to plan B or C, I can't really imagine what it is. I don't think it's Van Riemsdyk, you know. I think it's something else and I just really, it's a huge mystery to me. But there's a clear need for a top line player. Definitely. Evander Kane has shown that when we have that hole filled, we are a hugely better team. Definitely. So it must be filled. I'm looking forward to it. Sad, sad what's going on right now, but I'm I'm hopeful for the future. I mean, I think Doug Wilson can pull things off. He's uh in Doug pretty trust. savvy and always kicking the tires, so <laughs> Yeah. Apparently. It was pretty catharsis. Cathartic. I feel like I got a lot of thoughts. Yeah, it was uh I feel it a was, little bit better. It was good uh closure, I feel like. Yeah. This talk. Um I guess now we, we should can go say back to enjoying, now we can go back to enjoying the process, the process, the journey, the long suffering, the journey. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess we should say thank you to all our listeners this season. Yep. Um, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, um, you could find no, us at, have. well, you can find me at, at D 22. That's at D M I G S at uh, 22. No, no underscore or anything like that. You can follow me at Ian Said So, I-A-N-S-A-I-D-S-O. And uh, you can follow our uh, podcast Twitter at underscore back to the point. All one word. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you again for listening. We've had a lot of fun doing yeah. these podcasts. Uh, I think we've developed more of a consistency, which has been good. Yeah, it turns cool. out the schedule actually helps when you put it down. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We're not very good at planning things, but uh, yeah, I think I guess you can hear us again uh, probably a little bit after July first. I think that will be a big day potentially. The draft the will be a big days. okay. T- we're going to talk about the draft. Yeah, I would assume free agency. Obviously, the week mm-hmm. or two after that, or if we get Tavares, we're going to record a podcast and freak out about it. You know, off-season trades will happen. I'm pretty sure for the next month, the Sharks are going to be extremely quiet. Oh, definitely. 
Yeah, yeah it but it always seems think... like for the first month after the season ends, things just stop until the Stanley Cup is won, and then even then, probably a few weeks, and then it kind of upticks a bit as we move into July and June. Yeah, but we will probably record one or two times in the middle of the summer, just kind of recapping what we do, depending on how our schedules work. Yeah, um, and then you know we'll ramp it up a little bit before the season opens again kind of with a season preview but if you haven't realized now we pretty much only care about the sharks so i probably won't be watching the rest of the playoffs (laughs) and our season preview will mostly just be about the sharks yeah definitely we're really in depth about the sharks because we really love them yeah and uh, thanks for listening again if you guys liked Mm -hmm. us go ahead and give us stars i guess or leave a rating yeah leave a review on itunes yeah please we're on uh google play on android we would uh, appreciate constructive criticism i know our audio yeah, is not best at times we'll work, at us. we'll work on these things over time we recorded for a long time this time but we had a lot to get off our chest so it's not normally two and a half hours long <laughs> anyway all right man it's been fun um it's been good it's been fun until real, next time good mid off season yeah, we'll 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 check out and uh yeah, one last time until then, go sharks. Go sharks.